Blog Talk Radio. Holly came from Miami, FLA. Hitchhiked away across USA. Plucked her eyebrows on the way. Shaved her legs and then he was a she. She says, Hey babe, take a walk on the wild side. Said, Hey honey, take a walk on the wild side. Everybody's darling But she never lost her head Even when she was given head She says, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side Said, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side And the colored girls go Do, 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 Here and a hustle there New York City is the place where They said, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side I said, hey Joe Take a walk on the wild side Sugar Plum Fairy came and hit the streets Looking for soul food and a place to eat Went to the Apollo, you should have seen him go, go, go. They said, hey, sugar, take a walk on the wild side. I said, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. All right. Ha. Jackie is just speeding away. She was James Dean for a day Then I guess she had to crash Valium would have helped that fast She said, hey babe Take a walk on the wild side I said, hey honey Take a walk on the wild side And the colored girls say Do, 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 do,
And away we go. Welcome to a special edition of the Indie Cafe on the Red Velvet Media Network. And today's show is really, really, really special. Um, We are attributing um, to Lou Reed. This is a Lou Reed tribute show. And we have some awesome people in the studio that are going to be reflecting on their personal relationships with Lou. And also, um, we're really honored to have Sylvia Reed with us today, too, as well. And Spencer and Judith who will be um, the um, hosts of the Indie Cafe. Um, And we have quite a few people calling in. So if anyone is calling in and uh, I don't get to you right away, just be patient because this is going to be a place where everybody's going to share and talk about what it was like with Lou. Um, I wanted to make an announcement that the chat room is open. And if you would like to listen to this show afterwards, you can listen to it on iTunes and also on demand on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. Um, In the meantime, uh, that was, of course, Walk on the Wild Side, and that's probably one of my favorite songs along with others, many others that I've been introduced to. So let me uh, bring everyone into the studio here. Um, Sylvia, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello. Okay. Hi, Sylvia. Welcome to the show. Let me bring Spence in. Um, Spencer, is that you? Hi. How are you, Holly? Okay, great. And then let me bring in Judith. And I'm sorry, guys. This is a process because we've got lots of callers. And if, oh, I wanted to see if anybody else wants to call in. The number is 347-677-1036. Okay, let me unmute. Uh, Judith, are you there? Yeah, Hi. Okay. So happy right. to Hold. be here. This is so exciting. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the show. This is yours and Spencer's show. So let's uh, let's uh, get everyone else unmuted here. Seven one eight, you're on there. Who's this? This is Eric. I guess. Can you hear me? Hi, Hello? Eric. Hi, Eric Davidson. I'm calling oh. in from Astoria in Queens, so the above-ground train's going to go by every once in a while. Don't be alarmed. Oh, no, no, no. That's cool. That's cool. No problem. Hold on. We like I bring... that. I like yeah, that. Yeah, Usually yeah. when I do a show with Spencer, I hear sirens or uh, or something, you know. Let yeah, we'll get, probably get every... some sirens over here in Astoria, oh, yeah, too. Oh, yeah, that's so. cool. It adds, adds to the, the vibe of the show. Let me unmute everyone else here. Um, eight, four, five, you're on there. Who's this? Hey, Holly. Jimmy McElliott. Hi, hey, Jimmy. Oh, my God. A voice from the past. Hello, Judith. Yeah, Hello, Sylvia. Welcome so to happy the program. You're here. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Welcome. Because I know Larry's on here, too. Larry, are you yeah, there? Larry. Yeah, I'm here. Hi, Larry. Hi. Okay. Hi, so. Holly. Hey, Larry. Larry, Larry's hey, happy. Spencer. And hi, we Judith. We have a full house. Let me tell you that. <laughs> kind of this kind of feels like when you walk in for Thanksgiving and everyone's yelling hi as you walk in the house. You know, it kind of yeah. sounds like that. But the queen, the queen bee here, and I don't mean to sound, make that sound rude, but um, the queen of this show should be Sylvia because Sylvia has a lot of information, a lot of really amazing experiences, I'm sure, to share with all of our listeners. So I'm so glad everyone's here and anyone else that decides to call in I'll be um, unmuting them as we get through, you know, stories and stuff. The chat room is open, and if anyone wants to listen to this later, it's on iTunes. So Sylvia Reed is with us, and then there's Spencer and Judith. And um, 
everybody else. So uh, as people call in, I'll unmute them, Spence, okay? Yeah. All right, and Judith, too. Okay, so away okay. we go. <laughs> so I want to. Uh, I have Sylvia here, and I want to go over some uh, in an interesting way because Sylvia was a major creator of uh, Lou Reed and Velvet Underground packages that we work with her on, and um, I want everybody to know that she was a very big um, instigator of the great concepts of this packaging. And we were very honored to work with her and compliment her beautiful concepts in our packaging. Uh, I'd like to tell some stories which I think the outside public may not know about. And I wanted to start with the creation of the New York album by Lou Reed, since we're doing a tribute to Lou. This is one of the most pivotal, pivotal albums in his life. And we'll go through the process of some interesting stories of how this album cover was composed. And I think we'll start off, Sylvia, do you want to start with this? Hi there. I'd, I'd like to say that the, new, I, I, first I want to just help everyone by giving them a rough idea of the span of years in which I was involved. Um, met Lou in 77, so that covers a period of time when he was doing the Street Hassle album all the way up through 94, 95, when that would be the Velvet Underground reunion. So it covers quite a span of time. I was very gratified that my creative contributions uh, could be uh, used, appreciated, and I always worked in a collaborative manner. Lou would communicate things that he was interested in, things that he was thinking about, the content of the lyrics was always supremely important when we're thinking in terms of what is going to be on the album cover artwork, what is going to be on special packaging. In fact, it even extended later into what was going to be seen on stage and in the lighting design. Spencer oh, wow. and Judith and various people that they brought in were tremendously wonderful to work with. Um, I did not have the wherewithal to uh, take an art direction studio to where I needed it to go. I relied on the talent and work and ultimately the very cooperative nature of both of them. And I've been tremendously grateful to share in that creative experience. I just wanted to um, add that um, Sylvia, we also, Spencer and I valued your design uh, aesthetics, your concepts, and you sort of led the way for us. Um, you know, you know we, we created what we created because you directed us. We could not have done it without you. You had uh, more of an insight into Lou's um, mind than we did. Um, you were uh, one-to-one with him, which we were not. So we, um, we, we're so grateful that you, you let us. It, I mean, you know, the, the things that were produced, I think, were not because we co-designed them, but they were absolutely they're pretty, they're pretty awesome packages. Not to mention, of course, what's inside, the music itself. But the hey, visual, Judith? Excuse me, sorry, Judith. 
Judith, yes. I'm sorry. Excuse me one minute. You have a tiny yes. little bit of an echo. There you are. You're oh. closer to the phone now. There you go. Oh, okay. Better. Okay. Uh, let's let's start in on the uh, creative aspect of this. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the New York album, Sylvia. I know that was based on a famous photograph. Could you go into this? That would yeah. be cool. Spence, if we could, before we get into that, if you yep. could step away, you sound like your voice is um, bouncing off the ceiling. Okay. There you go. Okay. okay. It's really funny, you know. It's funny. You have it's it, what this is what radio is all about. You get people right. really casually. So let's. Um, yeah, that's much better, Spencer. Okay, so I could start now by saying. Yeah, uh, of I course, guess absolutely. The, the, no, no, I'm glad you're talking about it. Uh, the New York album uh, was uh, based on a, a famous photograph, and, and Sylvia, lead us into the, tr- the story trip. Yes. Uh, the photographer Brasai, who's um, was Hungarian, who came to Paris. I think I will ask Judith, who knows how to pronounce Hungarian, to tell you his name in Hungarian later. He was known as Brasai, and I admired his work a great deal, and even had uh, posters of his uh, on the walls of our home. And there is a particular photograph as we searched through thinking in terms of the content of the New York album and how Lou was always understood as a poet of the New York streets, someone relating stories of the underground New York life. And that naturally led us to look for the the very noir look of this particular Versailles photograph, which is called La Bande du Grand Albert. It's a beautiful black and white photograph of a group of men standing in a street in Paris. And there is a, a beautiful series of shadows created by the figures. That was our inspiration as we decided to try to recreate or suggest or pay homage to this photograph with the uh, composition of the cover of the New York album. And, and then uh, we... Uh, tell us a story about the New York title. So there's an interesting story about New York title. Can I just um, I mention his besides a Hungarian name since I actually happen to be Hungarian as well. Um, his name is Jula Halas. So but he was known as Versailles. Go on, Spencer. So we'll go on. Uh, Sylvia, describe the title of New York. There was an interesting story with that. Uh, So the the title of the album was actually one uh, that I came up with. It it took some convincing uh, for Lou to believe that that was, let's say, an appropriate use of it. the, the, if anyone reads the nature of the lyrics on the album, and it, it so wonderfully brings us back to a certain time and place in New York City and in the whole of the United States and a certain mindset. And when he had completed it, it was very clear to me that this defined a moment in time and that we could best make that approachable by, to everyone by titling it New York. He liked the title, but it did take some convincing. 
So if you look at the album artwork, you will see that the title appears as a shadow on the wall. That was an artistic choice done because of the fact that we were not trying to be very pretentious about it and loud and brassy, like, oh, who read owns New York? No, it was intentionally done with this shadow on the wall, a suggestion of the title, a suggestion that people could choose to interpret what he knew about New York and what he understood about the people in New York and that these songs, the lyrics, were a, a recitation of something that we could best define by the shadowy words on the wall, New York. Mm-hmm. And, and then a step further going into the cover, I picked a, type, a typeface that uh, had the name Lou Reed with, with an, make sure that it didn't dominate overwhelmingly, so it had like an inline where you could see the wall in the background. Uh, as we, as w- on the back of the cover, I used a Times Roman typeface, which is significant with newspaper very much. Decided to have that feel of New York. And on, when we got into the lyrics, that was another interesting story, which Sylvia could get into. The lyric part of it, were E. Cummings, the uh, thought process? Yes. Uh, one thing that was very important to Lou was that the lyrics had to be printed on each and every album and each and every format of the album. It, um, with a wordsmith as he was, they're very, uh, there's a lot of words, a lot of, we had to take a great deal of trouble to fit all the words and make them readable. He was very insistent on that, that a person who listened to this should be able to actually follow along reading the lyrics. So what uh, Spencer and I and Judith came up with, we were analyzing how can we possibly fit all these words in the space given us. It was a challenge just for the album, but you can imagine as we got into the cassette for boys and girls out there who are young. (laughs) You oh, will man. not remember this, but there used to be this thing called cassette tape, and yeah, that format had to so. be dealt with as well. So I think uh, I'll let Spencer explain. What we did was we decided to create a uh, inspired sort of by E.E. E. Cummings and his lowercase letters, um, sort of a precursor to Internet email addresses also, where there's all lowercase <laughs> letters at first. Uh, and it's using that and being very careful about only capitalizing at certain places, that was something that helped fit all the lyrics into the various formats. It's interesting uh, the fact that uh, Judith and I have worked on so many CDs in the setting and um, never never had lyrics set this way, which is very creative. And uh, it was was the obvious solution. I think that about tells the story of that album. And the next one that we worked on was Magic and Lost. And this is an interesting story, really interesting story. Uh, It starts off with a photograph by the photographer Louis Jamet in Paris. And and lead us into this, Sylvia. Yes, we, uh, Lou and I were attending an event in Paris. Uh, it, it just so happened 
that the photographer, Louis Jean, had been present to do something relating to another project. And he requested that Luke pose in front of a backdrop that he had uh, with him. Lou did so, and the resulting photograph was unforgettable. So beautiful in the composition, uh, the coloring. It seemed to have a, a real power on its own. And when we saw the results, we knew we would end up using it for something uh, someday because it was very strong. Lou loved the work, and it seemed very evocative. We did not know what it would be at that point. Later, when Magic and Loss evolved into the really remarkable document that it was, that photograph was the first one that came to my mind, and that is what I brought uh, to Spencer to begin work on the artwork. And we went through uh, it. Spencer? Hold on one second. Um, I want to let everyone know that um, the chat room is open, and today's show is... The Lou Reed Tribute, if you tuned in late, you can listen to the show again on iTunes and also on demand. Um, Spencer, you are sounding, when you get really close to the phone, it's really good. And I love your stories you're telling. And Sylvie, you sound great. Um, but Spencer, it sounds a little bit like you have, you're echoing off the walls. Okay. There, that's um, better. That's better. Okay, well, let me. Your, yeah. Okay. There you go. Sure. So, okay, great. Uh, so now we're going into magic and loss, and the photograph was, we decided to use a typeface, which we thought was very prevalent, and, um, and the symbols was the other part of it, which uh, Sylvia and Judith had a great part to play in this part. Actually, Sylvia, um, hello, are you there? Can I, this is Judith. I can hear you. Hi. So Sylvia was um, was instrumental in, in picking um, out the symbols. Oh, actually, we picked them out together. They were meaningful symbols. Um, I happen I happen to have a, an alchemist symbol book in the studio, and so we um, went through that and came up with the four symbols that you see on the album itself. Um, those symbols were went on actually to uh, be used um, later on in in Lou's live performances, where they um, I actually had uh, painted slides of the symbol images, and uh, those symbols were um, magnified about forty feet onto the stage floor and behind Lou. Um, when he went on tour with the Magic and Lost album. Um, Sylvia, you, you have some input on, on the symbols and, uh, and the making of that album. Uh, yes, uh, this, this one is particularly close to my heart, as uh, I think you might, uh, those of you who listen to the album, the topic is about death, uh, facing the end of one's life, facing the loss of others and the really great challenges um, as we contemplate that. The symbols that Judith uh, and I went over were very carefully chosen. In the upper left-hand corner is an alchemical symbol, which 
as you know, alchemy, transforming everything into gold. This one was a symbol of the sun, but it, each one of these has a, a meaning beyond just the simple sun itself. It was about transformation. Uh, in the lower right-hand corner is a symbol which is, if I can relate it to anything, it would be a yin-yang. It's a male-female, dark light, uh, contrasting, uh, a, a dual, uh, good, evil. Uh, this is all part of the meaning behind that symbol that's on the lower right-hand corner. The other two were also important. Um, unfortunately, I have not been able to locate my notes. Uh, I know that each one was chosen very carefully. And moving on from that, if you notice, the uh, certain parts of the title copy are reversed. And as you move through the packaging, the lyrics uh, went further and contained symbols. We also spent a great deal of time with the very faded photograph transparently laid under the lyrics and the middle sheet. Uh, it was very carefully done. Uh, in, in, it, in itself, this is, I think, the, this work is the one I'm proudest of, of everything I did with Spencer and Judith. Uh, it's an amazing package because it leads into the next package, which is really, uh, I call, very historic in our lives and the three of us worked on and could have been a Grammy winner, which is the metal box, the metal memorial edition. And um, again, that was a whole thing, which is very interesting. Uh, Sylvia told me some incredible stories on this. That, that is it right, Sylvia? Was studying uh, death, uh, the dead customs in different countries, the study of it, or yes, the uh, the when a person is buried. There is a set of laws that involve what is needed to do, how the coffin is, how the coffin is placed, the type of crypt or uh, container in which that has to go. At the same time, thinking about those issues, the uh, a person in, I believe it was Germany, Someone had showed me a metal uh, special package. It was sort of a template. They're saying, well, this, the company that they worked with that was making interesting packages for CDs had come up with this thing, and they thought it was a very rough piece of metal hinged together. And they thought, yeah, it'll look a lot better. We'll make it. We'll shine it up. It'll it'll look a lot cleaner than this. But when I saw it. I realized that this was ideal for what we were trying to say with the lyrics of Magic and Lost talking about decay and years passing and losing someone and then being lost forever. And so for me it was very evocative of what we were trying to do. So with the special packaging, uh, we decided we were going to try to find out how how would you print on something like this? So Spencer and Judith located some people who were able to answer those questions, and they developed a way to actually experiment with it. And so we could come to the right point where you could see the image clearly enough, because we wanted to maintain 
the integrity of that Louis Jean photo, but we also wanted to have a sense of erosion and decay and something organic. So that was why we, we ended up with that final tin package. I hear the train. <laughs> no, 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 I hear the trains. I heard the trains there. No, Sylvia, that's so awesome. Okay, can I, I want to go into the disc now, the CD disc. That had a special meaning to it, right, Sylvia? Uh, yes. If you can read the lyrics, one of the songs talks about passing through fire. And this uh, stuck in mind as a particular important, uh, it's it sort of, coalesces everything that the lyrics are about. Passing through fire, getting from one side, one dimension, through to another. So the disc itself, we wanted to find out a way, how can we make it look burnt, literally burnt, like it has passed through fire. And many, many different things were tried. Discovering a way to do the screening properly. And I think I'll let Spencer talk about how he brought someone in to, to assist with that. We, we brought Dennis Asienzo, a really cool designer, into the project. And Dennis had a lot to do with the uh, booklet at that time. He did a montage on the inside of the booklet and also created the burned feeling on the disc. And that's what really made this package come into a uniform feeling. And um, so that, that was the story of that. Yeah, it, it was particularly funny because the first, uh, according to the record company, some of the people that bought the package took it home, opened it, and thought that the disc had been damaged in some way, and they tried to return it. <laughs> That's funny. I never heard that story. That is even even though it played, it played perfectly, it intended to look damaged. Oh, Spencer, I um, want to ask you, because I can't remember, um, the metal box was a Did special it? limited edition. How many were printed? I don't know, but uh, this is another story about the metal box. It was done, I remember Sylvia told me, they did it in Germany, and she called me up one day and said, Spencer, oh. I had to call you now. I was afraid to tell you before, but Germany, the United States finally did it. The story was Germany was going to do it, and the United States didn't want to be embarrassed, so it became the entity, so that's why it was printed. But it was a promotional-only package. It couldn't be entered in the Grammys, okay. but I'm sure if this package was in the Grammys, nom it would have been nominated easily. You know, as a great uh, out, you know, as a great packaging thing. So I, I so th Spencer, there's a, Spencer. Yeah, I'd, it's Jimmy. I'd like to ask uh, Sylvia a, a little question about this album, Magic oh, and Lost. Yes, sir. Yeah. She met, hi, Sylvia. Jimmy McElliot here, friend of Spencer's. Uh, hi. I know that this album uh, you mentioned about the it, it involved uh, loss and death, and uh, I wonder if you could elaborate to the, to everyone listening. Uh, one one of Lou's uh, dear friends was the songwriter Doc Pomus, who I believe uh, this this uh, album was a tribute to. That's right. Yes, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm looking now at the inside centerfold imagery, and it's it's. Uh, it's very interesting. What you see on the left is a more transparent photograph upside down. Now that's, I think some of you might be aware in other cultures 
symbol of death can be an upside-down image. Right. And then there's one right side up that comes through more clearly, and that's clearly Doc Thomas, who was a very, very dear friend of Lou's that he respected tremendously. Uh, Lou often used to uh, participate in a small songwriter seminar that Doc uh, used to offer in his residence in the Upper West Side, which was just a short distance away from ours. And he would walk down there and participate in that for Doc. He loved him like a father. Right. You will also see on the lower left-hand side as the centerfold image, tell everybody in old New York that Big Joe is back for good. That is an actual Doc Thomas's handwriting uh, piece of a lyric um, that Doc wrote. And then on the right-hand side, there's an image of Doc with his crutches. Right. Lou admired this photograph a great deal. It uh, said everything about someone overcoming adversity because he's a very stylish, dapper man. I always loved the look of his shiny, slick-back black hair. Right. And he looks strong and formidable, even though he's lying on these crutches. Then there are uh, other images of writing. And then on the right is a very faded photograph of a dear friend of Lou's. And indeed, these were the two losses that he suffered that inspired the lyrics of this album. And I, I also know that uh, that Lou on, was on Doc Promise's tribute album. I'm, I'm, I happen to be friends with Doc Promise's brother, who happens to be uh, Raul Felder, the, the noted divorce attorney. Yes. Uh, and Raul had sent me a copy of Lou performing this magic moment on, on that on that album. Absolutely beautiful, heartbreaking rendition, which I believe was later featured in a film. Right. I believe it was the. Uh, I all I remember it's, it's really unforgettable. Or I think it's a scene with Patricia Arquette getting out of a convertible and walking toward the lead character, and and you hear Lou singing that song, and it's wonderful cinematic right. moment. Well, thank you for the background on that. I also yeah, want to I say I'd love to hear the background I, stories. Yeah, that's important. I, I I do want to say one more thing because um, speaking of Doc, uh, we Lou and I attended his funeral, and many people have already written about this. But with the passing of Little Jimmy Scott, which I think three weeks ago, uh, that moment when Jimmy Scott got up and sang at Doc's funeral was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. Mm. Other people felt the same way, and Jimmy had a renewal of his career at that moment, and he was sharing his goodbye to his old friend. Lou ended up taking Jimmy out on tour, supporting uh, him actually appearing on stage to sing uh, on a certain couple of songs in the Magic and Lost tour. Yeah, um, I, this is Larry. I, I mean, Lou really resurrected Jimmy Scott's career, you know, and really put him in the limelight again. Um, I, I spoke with uh, Gollin Jeffries on Wednesday, and he was saying what the reason why he and Lou had a 50-year friendship, what brought them together was their love of doo-wop, specifically, 
you know, these people both being kids from Brooklyn, and, um, um, you know, it, it, it was something that even, like, you know, in the last two years of Lou's life, uh, they would sing together. Um, on Gollum's uh, record in 2011, Lou does a cameo, um, which was like a little bit of a doo-wop type of thing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Lou loved that sound, a particular type of voice, and uh, never forgot it. He loved it the way you can love a piece of music when you're a teenager. (laughs) All of us know that feeling, Uh, something you never forget. He loved it his entire life. He respected it a great deal. And uh, with, uh, with Garland, he had a great deal of fun pretending that he could be one of those doo-wop singers, but he knew that oh, wasn't his great. particular gift. <laughs> I have a I question, watch. Sylvia. Can I, can I ask a real quick question, Sylvia? It's Holly. Yes. Um, what kind of music um, were you and Lou listening to um, at you know while he was recording or getting ready, you know, even if it wasn't his music? What music was he listening to? What, what were you guys... Tune into. Yeah, he was he was um, remarkable in he, that he never got tired of music. He never uh-huh. got tired of how it evolves and changes. The music of his youth, different from the music of my youth. I'm a little bit younger than he was, uh, and it's different from what it is today. He was uh-huh. always interested, and uh-huh. I think uh, I played a lot of the music I was into at the time for him when I first met him. I was watching, I was one of the CBGB's crowd. I was seeing, you know, Patti Smith, Talking Heads. Yeah. My favorite band. My favorite band was Suicide. Um, And, of course, television. Uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids. And Mm -hmm. uh, these these were the people that uh, I thought was making, where they were making a huge impact in music, obviously, and he listened to it. He had various opinions about it, but the music that was very close to his heart, you know, remained that doo-wop sound, and the singer Lorraine Ellison. Uh, oh, really? Particular, particular favorite song of his, Stay With Me Baby. And oh, really? That, That's interesting. Yeah, that, I, that didn't change. We I got to tell you a story. Uh, it's very interesting. You're, I saw you're echoing Lou, against that. I, I saw Lou at the um, NYPL uh, in a get-together of the 93 tour, which we'll talk about. But um, he was interviewed, and he mentioned his fondness for Ornette Coleman. And, and so uh, Judith and I uh, decided it was his birthday, and he had a book signing down at Steve Kasher's studio. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, we owed so much to Sylvia and Lou. What can I give Lou? And so I had on my shelf a live at, at Town Hall by Ornette Coleman in 1962. It was shrink-wrapped and unopened. So Judith and I take this album down to Steve Kasher, and I remember getting in front of Lou and we gave him the album, and he looked at the album, and the first thing he says is, it's shrink wrap. And I just bought a turntable. <laughs> and it, I could tell it meant so much to him. 
I mean, the idea was Ornette Coleman at this incredible performance at Town Hall that I gave him, and it just, it made my heart good because I felt I had given something that was really something in music that he really enjoyed. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, he had a real thing with for Ornette, I think, too. Did he, did he like to travel a lot, Sylvia, or was he more like a person that wanted to stay in New York and stay with you guys, stay at home with you guys, or did he like traveling? Uh, he he needed to do his work. Uh, uh-huh. That became very clear. There was one time period uh, when I first got together with him. He understood he needed to take a break for his health, try to improve his health. So that was one time where we spent um, about a year and a half um, in one place in a country house. But other than that, Working was incredibly important to him. It was the focus wow. of his life, and so it became constant work. That was something I came to respect a great deal. Um, I was a kid at the time, but now I realize how rare it is. He was very uh, perfectionistic and and very insistent on being good at what he did, and that meant mm-hmm. working at it and working very hard. Anyone who ever worked with him would know that. I'd like to come in and just finish our discussion on this, and then we'll go on to our next famous guest. The Velvet Underground was the next project that we all worked on, and that has amazing stories, too. The limit, it was the live tour of the Velvet Underground 1993, and we had worked on a limited edition package which uh, had peel-off bananas on it. It was a whole trip, but it was a beautiful package and an incredible poster. Uh, Sylvia, could you lead into that? Yes. uh, This was in the middle of a time that I would say is pretty challenging. Uh, The Velvet Underground reunion work began with a lot of hopefulness and optimism and, of course, faded dress on a lot of parts of fans who, uh, you know, basically it was a dream come true that they could, you know, can they get back together? Will it last? Can they uh, recreate the energy, the amazing power that the original music had? I'll let other people argue that out. But I I witnessed myself, uh, you know, a lot of cynical, hardened journalists weeping at the Wembley show and seeing that it was really, uh, for some people, it had been done and done very effectively, beautifully, brought back that sound, which was fantastic. I think the um, uh, amazing quality that that band had, in fact, didn't go away. For me, it was there. But since I was away um, on the road while this was all happening, we were pulling together plans to get a performance film done, et cetera, et cetera, and everything. There's a lot of things happening at once. So for the first time, Spencer and Judith and I were, we, I couldn't just pop up to the studio and go over things with them, so we had to handle a lot of things um, by, by waiting for them to send me proofs and things in the in the Warner Brothers couch and picking it up and taking a look and then trying to have phone calls and meetings back and forth about it was a, it was a difficult package to put together because 
uh, we were trying to get the look of the velvet right, and uh, thinking about the thinking about all the artistic decisions. There's a million little artistic decisions, and it was made harder by everything else that was going on at the time. But we were very excited. The silver foil idea, I think, is obvious to anyone who knows anything at all about Warhol and the factory days. The remain famously covered the entire walls and pillars of the factory with silver foil. The banana image, of course. Uh, it's interesting. I think I'll let Judith talk about how it came about for her to present, uh, to get the, the copy looking the right way with the foil imagery. Judith? Yes. Um, well, Spencer and I um, actually found a, uh, an art student at Visual Arts who um, carved the banana for us out of clay. And um, we then uh, went out and uh, uh, saw the heaviest aluminum foil we could find, um, which, uh, which is actually quite difficult in those days to find really heavy aluminum foil. And we took the aluminum foil um, and burnished over the clay banana. And then Spencer and I saw this, uh, uh, it was um, this plastic letter shop. And we thought, well, let's buy little miniature letters, and we'll put the aluminum foil over the letters, and we'll burnish that, put the banana, the burnished banana, the burnished title, uh, with velvet underneath it, and bring in a photographer to photograph the entire thing. So Spencer, you want to add to that? Yeah, Ted Chin was the photographer, and he composed it with pretty much a traditional type of poster. Uh, so you had the letters burnished down with foil. You had the uh, banana with foil over it as, as a piece. And, and it was montaged together with a background of a blue velvet. That became the poster, which won, by the way, Best Poster of the Year by Billboard magazine that year. And also that transferred... Uh, into the commercial packaging of the front cover. Uh, but, you know, it became iconic in a way because if you look at it, it's a new version. I call it the new version of the banana as, as an identity because now you have, for the first time, a metallic banana as an image of an Andy Warhol has been for the years as a regular banana. It's like almost in a new form in a way. And... Um, it's a very dynamic package. The poster was dynamic. We did a limited edition, which Sylvia had a lot to do with the concept of uh, uh, color forms uh, area. And uh, Sylvia, you want to go into that? That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, there was a, uh, a lot of things that we played with that were just for fun. Because, of course, if you go back and you think about the Velvet Underground and artwork, you always think of the Warhol Banana album and the peeling. So we didn't address any of the peeling in any of the other parts of it. So we thought, okay, let's play around with that, thinking about, you know, how do you peel something? What that was when uh, the uh, someone put in front of me a couple of ideas that other people were trying with sort of a shiny, uh, smooth plastic, and then playing with the idea of plastic, plastic. 
like the kids' color form games that used to be uh, quite commonplace. So we started fooling around with that and thinking ah, how interesting it would be if you created a package where the uh, bananas could be removable and then stick them back on. So we, we, we had a lot of fun finding a way to use that. And also we brought in the elements of the shiny black, a lot of the Velvet Underground shiny groups of leather. We brought in the concept of repetition, as Warhol's imagery calls that to mind just naturally for any visual person looking at it. So that's why the special package had, I don't remember exactly how many there were, a multitude of bananas on each cover, and we could play with them, we could peel them off and stick them back on. So that's great. Wonderful. Wonderful fun package. Yeah, that that ended up to be in the uh, that end, that package ended up being the top twenty five of the Grammys. It didn't make it to the top five, but it was on that final list, and it's a great uh, package and limited edition. If anybody has it or anybody wants to get it, it's incredible. Um, no, that's I great. Wa- he had a relationship you know, with Andy Warhol, didn't he? So I mean. That was a lot. A lot of it, right? Didn't he? Didn't he have a very close relationship with Andy? Uh, yes, I, that's a good introduction to just. I just want to briefly say, at one point, I worked with another art director, Warner Brothers based, on the songs for Gorilla Package. That was a tribute album, uh, a loving song cycle in memory of Andy done by John Cale and Lou Reed, and the Songs for Drella package had a special edition. It was in a, a black velvet, um, sort of uh, um, uh, images of John and Lou and juxtaposed on, on the back, juxtaposed with a uh, very faded image of Andy, one of the famous mm-hmm. images that everyone knows. And so, yes, that, that package was actually nominated for a Grammy, uh, and that was... That was another enjoyable piece to work on. Um, That's awesome. We're going we're gonna to talk That's about uh, his music and stuff, the career, his, his music and things, uh, Spence. Yeah. I was going to bring up about Joseph Arthur's package that we'll be getting into. Um, uh, Joseph uh, had us an album out, a tribute to Lou. It's called Lou on Vanguard, and um, I want to talk a little bit about it. Uh, uh, Joseph was very close to Lou Reed. Um, his is a great story where Joseph Arthur played for the first time on the stage in some area, and he looked in the first row and he saw Peter Gabriel and Lou Reed with a tape deck recording him, and almost fell on the floor. And that was how he got signed to Peter Gabriel with the help of actually Lou Reed being with Peter. Uh, and and since then, uh, Joseph had a life of being. Uh, very close to Lou in life. I mean, I've been to like, I went to a city winery and Lou walked out coming from backstage and said hello and he followed uh, Joseph a great deal and uh, Joseph decided now on uh, Lou's passing to put out this beautiful tribute album and um, we'll play some of the songs from that and uh, I just want to make note that Joseph couldn't be on the show because he's traveling but um, he uh, 
It's a big, It's part of the show. You know, Joseph's album's part of the show. And yeah. Holly knows, uh, we had uh, Holly. Holly and I had, and Judith had him on an sh- interview uh, before in our, on our show. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I just want to bring... Yeah, we have a song. We have a song that um, we wanted to play um, that Joseph did at the City Winery just recently that, Sylvia, I think you really enjoyed. Yes, I've been... Uh, it's been a wonderful thing to watch so many artists admire and express their love for Lou's work and Lou uh, by doing these treatments. Mm-hmm. 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 Some from that, you know, singer-songwriter uh, genre, and he, he dominates a stage with his voice and his ability to, to turn a phrase and give it a certain, uh, his voice has a certain timbre to it. To me, it's very wonderful to be able to listen to those songs um, sort of being renewed by Joseph Arthur. Okay. Would you like me to play uh, the Pale Blue Eyes Absolutely. song now? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is this is the song off Lou's um, um, the tribute um, CD that Joe did. It's called Entitled Lou. And the one track that I pulled was Pale Blue Eyes because it's really an amazing, um, I think it's an amazing version of it, and I think this is a song that you really enjoyed. So we're going to play that really quick, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, Lou and his career and um, more stuff. If anyone tuned in late, um, please make sure to uh, go into the chat room. I see a lot of people going in and out of the chat room. And um, if you missed the beginning of the show, the show will be available afterwards on iTunes. And with that, we're going to play uh, Pale Blue Eyes, and this can be found on Joseph Arthur's newest CD entitled Lou. Sometimes I feel so happy. Sometimes I feel so sad. Sometimes I feel so happy But mostly you just make me mad Baby, you just make me mad Linger on Pale blue eyes Linger on, pale blue eyes. Follow you as my mountaintop. Follow you as my peak. Follow you as everything. I've had but couldn't keep I had but couldn't keep Linger on You pale blue eyes Linger
and stuff. I'm unmuting everyone. Sylvia, you weren't oh, crying, were you? Beautiful. Beautiful. Hi. Yeah, hold on. I'm bringing everyone back in. Here, hold on a second. Okay. Um, let me just make sure everybody's here because I want to make sure I didn't unmute, I didn't mute the wrong person. Okay, 412, that's uh, you, Sylvia. Hi. Two one two is Spencer. Nine one seven is Judith. Seven one eight is uh, Eric. I'm here. Hey you. Okay. Nine one seven is Larry. Eight four five. Jimmy. 
Hi, Jimmy. Hey, and Jimmy. And 44. Bill Bentley. Oh, Bill, Bill, Bill you called in during the show, yeah. So you came in right at the time? You came in right on the time when we were playing uh, Joseph's oh, song from... Uh, hey, Lou taught um, me it was all about timing. That's the whole thing. You are perfect. <laughs> so maybe, Let me tell maybe you. We're, introduce himself because I don't know if everybody knows who Bill is. We're so happy hey, you're Bill. here, Bill. Bill, introduce Bill yourself. Bill. Tell us a little Let bit about who you are. I was Lou's publicist at Warner Brothers for several years, and uh, we worked together after I left Warner's and just had a great run of friendship for close to 25 years. Wow. That's a long time. Hey, Bill, how are you? Great. Now, listen, I want to, I want you to, I want to ask you something. What inspired the album? Tell us some stories about around the album. Uh, about that, Joseph Arthur's album? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, after Lou passed, I just felt called to do something and I couldn't figure out what it was and I had made some tribute records for other artists and I thought that was an idea but I wanted this one to be different and somebody told me about Joseph Arthur's uh, eulogy to Lou in a magazine so I read it and just figured he was the guy to do it and called him up out of the blue and asked him to do it and he he really didn't want to but he kind of humored me and then he went off on tour and then he came back and started recording and before before I knew it he, he said he finished it. Wow. Oh, wow. It, it really was fate. It just happened out of almost no planning, which made uh-huh. me feel like it was it was meant to be. Right, right, exactly. Bill, this, Bill, this is Jimmy uh, McElliot. I'm, read, I'm reading a comment from Joseph about you at this very moment uh-huh. in, in relation to the album. When he says, says about the Lou album, he said, I made a rule, no drums or electricity. Lou was electric. The only way I knew to give new life to something as rich with life as Lou's songs and recordings is to go about them in a completely different way. Bill Bentley, Bill, Bill's advice to just keep it simple and not overthink, not overthink it kind of acted as my mission statement, and in each song I felt I revealed something new in it. So I think that was a very nice tribute that he, he, yeah, he gave you yeah. in his comments. You know? well, well, Joseph yeah, is a very, very smart artist, and he knew that he had to take a different route on these songs. And he and I were talking about it recently, and we both agreed, like, you can't out-rock Lou Reed. It's just impossible. Right. So for him to go in and try to do these rock songs was going to be a mission and failure. And Joseph is inventive enough to have sort of reimagined them in his own way. And I'll be eternally grateful that he did that. Plus, I do believe that if Lou heard it, he would like it. I don't know. There's just something inside me that said Lou would smile about these songs. Well, oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, what, what I know about, what I know about uh, Joseph in New York, uh, Bill, was that uh, I knew he was very close to Lou. He'd visit Lou. He always called, Joseph would call me up and say, hey, Spence, I was at Lou's house, you know. He was really excited. And, when, and I, I mentioned before that whenever he, he was at City Winery, Lou was there once, you know, I've seen him there. And he was just a big factor in his life, you know, and they played, I believe they played together also uh, at yeah. different, like South by Southwest or something like that. So, uh, you know, it was a whole trip. It was bound to happen. And, uh, it really was. Tell you, yeah, and I think uh, I want to tell people that Bill Bentley is a very visionary, uh, and I really mean this from the heart. I've been around music for 30 years. You're a very visionary A&R guy. You're not the typical uh, guy, and, and I love the fact that you did the album very simple. That was a very simply done, and it's a very roots way of doing it from the heart. And you really 
ca- capture the whole thing. The whole thing was really well done by Joseph and your collaboration in the head. I just want to tell you that. Well, thank well, you, Spencer. And, I, and I've got to say that a lot of that vision comes from not only knowing Lou, but you know, from listening to Lou starting in 67 as a teenager in the Velvet Underground, just this world opened up, and it taught me so much about how you could look at the world with this huge lens and never limit yourself to anything. I mean, I learned almost all that from Lou, and it's been like 45 years now of listening to him. Yeah. Well, the, great thing, the great thing listening to um, Joseph's voice is that it, it really um, brings Lou's lyrics front and center. And, you know, like I never heard these songs the same way before. Um, which, um, you know, I guess, you know, the, the arrangements and the mix really had a lot to do with it. I, I was just cu- curious, if Bill, if you had any input on that, or was that just like a finished product? Just just the uh, good thought to ask Joseph to do it. I had no input at all. He literally <laughs> went off and did it without telling me. And, and like he told me when he sent it to me, he said, I didn't want to do this. I was going to figure out a way to tell you no. But I said, look, I, I told him, I said, just look, just do one and see what happens. And Hello? he said the first one he did was Coney Island Baby, and they just kind of flowed oh, really? from that. So that's, that's how the whole he, thing happened. I know hey, he, um, Bill, I know he said that he was um, very, he, it really affected him when Lou went to the next place. And um, I know Hello? that this was his way, I think, his, his emotional outlet, you know what I mean? This is his yeah. way of paying tribute to somebody that he really loved and um, really felt close to. He said he was like his father to him, you know, and a mentor. So. Well, think of this. You know, Lou's album, Magic and Loss, was about dying. And music mm-hmm. is magic, so when you lose something, mm-hmm. if you go to music, you will find the magic. I mean, that's what Lou taught me. And that's uh-huh. what I think he taught Joseph, and that's what he, Joseph expressed in this album. We, we might have lost yeah. Lou, but we still had the magic of his music, and that's what that's he That's true. Hey, I, I you saw, guys, can you guys hear me? I, I, Hello? Uh, who's Hello? that? Who's hey, that? it's Joe. I'm, I'm here. I, uh, hey, Joe. Hey, sorry. Oh, my God. It took me so long to get connected. You're actually I'm, here. Joe, yeah, the here, answer, just, everyone. Yeah, hey. Your ears sorry, were uh, ringing, right, Joe? I just, yeah. I just played Pale Blue Eyes for you, or for oh, everybody. Oh, great, great. So yeah. Is, and Bill, Bill, what's going on? Hello. Hi, my brother. Can <laughs> you guys hear? Yeah, yeah, we're here, Joseph, all of oh, us. Oh, cool. Awesome. Sylvia's and here, you just, hey, By the way, I want to tell... Larry's I, here. I want to tell here. everybody, I just, I got to cut... Because Joseph did an amazing performance at the Standard the other night. Um, uh-huh. I want to tell everybody, at the Standard Hotel... And he did, uh, I believe, half a set of Lou and half a set of his own. But that uh, performance the other night was so electric, Joseph. I got to tell you, it was amazing. Yeah, I had a really good time doing it. It was. Uh, I, it was it's always hard to leave LA. I was in LA for like three weeks, and that was fun. <laughs> but I, you know, uh, it, it was. Uh, I mean, I love playing music, and Rennie Lane played piano with me, and uh, she was great. She was great. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it felt like a culmination of a lot of touring for the loose stuff. So, yeah. So, how's the conversation going so far? Oh yeah, we had we went we went over loose albums, and then we went over your album, and Bill Bentley called, and you called, so it's good timing. Okay. So now it's time to get into uh, a little bit about loose stuff, loose life, because we want to hear more loose stories. Anybody have any stories they want to share? 
Yeah, well, you know, when I interviewed Lou, this was in 2003, um, I didn't expect him to be that funny, actually. Um, for example, he was uh, in his office and he was trying to find something to eat. And um, he, he found some locks. And he's also to eat it, and he looked at it, and he says, I don't think I could eat this. This looks diseased. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was very intimidated, you know, meeting him. And then when it finally happened, well, I mean, before it happened, I asked Lenny Kay, my friend, um, you know, how do, how do I deal with Lou? So Lenny said, you know, stick with technology. You can't go wrong. So um, I, brought, I brought with me a bunch of... Um, the, the company I used to work for published uh, Guitar Player and Keyboard Magazine and you know, all these different techie type magazines. And Lou, you know, ate it up. He was just devouring them. <laughs> and was asking me about a specific product. If it, you know, does it really do what they say it does? <laughs> you know, and I said, we were, you know, I just do the magazine that covers. CD uh, production and, and manufacturing, uh, but I'm sure, you know, these editors, you know, are professionals and they know what they're talking about, but, um, no, it was a great, it was a really good um, experience, and what happened, the way I got to meet him was, this is when The Raven came out, and I asked him at Barnes & Noble whether uh, he thought about mixing it in surround sound. And he turns to his publicist at the time, I guess this was after you, Bill, and, and says, see, surround sound. <laughs> so then he says to me, you know how I could go about doing that? So I said, well, not me personally, but I have some friends who can. You know, so I, yeah. did, give him some contact, I did give him some contacts. And, it was, you know, and that, that was how I was able to uh, set up the appointment to see him. I always thought it was funny the way... He became most, you know, super famous for the Velvet Underground and how gritty that whole sound was, and that's what made that great. Was just, I mean, a lot of things, but just the grit of it and just uh, sort of almost seemingly ambivalence to sound quality and stuff like that. Um, and then he did. He was so so into that, like later on, just like sonic quality and stuff like that. Right. Well, you know, Bob Ludwig told me, the mastering engineer, told me that Luke cared more about the sound than any other musician he ever mastered, you know, and worked with. That's um, Wow. He was just so on top of it. Um, and, you know, of course, Sylvia probably talked a little bit about this Luke's obsession with uh, bi binaural sound. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, I was going to say to Joe that it was, it was interesting because I think the... Velvet Underground years were a time when, you know, you've got to remember that's quite early. Um, yeah. They're coming into a recording studio for probably hadn't been in a studio that often before. Uh, he had always expressed uh, instances in which he didn't think that the uh, people respected what they were doing, the engineers. Right. The, you know, it was... They're kind of old school people, and he always told us. There's a familiar story where he claims that on one particular track, the engineer just said, I'm turning it up, I'm leaving the studio, you guys do what you want. Right. And so I think later, when he had the uh, respect and, and, and the wherewithal and the clout sort of to say, I want it perfect, that's when yeah. he began exploring these 
very fringe uh, areas of technophobia where, you know, going into the Bell's album being recorded out in this uh, very exacting studio out in Wilster in Germany. And yeah. he showed me the binaural head and explained the scientific principles behind binaural sound. I'm pleased yeah. to say some people are so interested in that sort of thing. Uh, it's it's nice for him. Um, he even later, when it became popular to do this very expensive sound analysis of a venue you were going to play, they called it simming. Yeah. You'd, you'd pay these people extraordinary amounts of money to come in, bring their equipment and place microphones all over the hall until they could analyze it to give you, you know, exactly how your monitors and speakers should be. It was, uh, you know, we loved that sort of thing. And, yeah, he could talk to anyone for days about it. Yeah. You know, I, I have a funny story. with like maybe not funny, but just a, a, something I always remember. Where I went to Moog, uh, the Moog, uh, I mean, a lot of people call it Moog, but it's Moog, M-O-O-G, um, where, the, you know, and they had this thing, the Moog guitar. And one of the things they showed me was Lou playing a Moog guitar and him going, I've been, you know, I've wanted a guitar that could do this my whole life, you know. And I watched that and I played the guitar for a little while at, at their warehouse or, um, and I Life ended up in New York <laughs> oh, yeah exactly and then I ended up uh, getting one even though even I got the artist discount price it still cost an arm and a leg and I texted <laughs> Lou you know because I like got it because you know it was, well, it was awesome what it could do but I also mm-hmm. definitely his endorsement of raving about it on their video you know, sort of uh, sealed the deal for me. But I texted Lou and I said, man, I have buyer's remorse, man. I just uh, bought one of these Moog guitars. And he wrote back, he's like, never regret buying something like that. It's godly, you know. And I just always thought of that, like, you know, now that I have it, I, I mean, I use it all the time and I always think of him when I use it and, and just the word, the, you know, chose to use the word godly for it, you know, because, you know, it, 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 it's like, it is like a spiritual thing, you know, like the sound, like I think he was so, I mean, I think that's what, he, he worshipped sound in a way, like there was like that sort of reverence to things like that, you know. He had his own sound, right? Yeah, I mean, it was like, he knew it was a Lou Reed song. Yeah. Joseph, I think the only two people I've ever seen play that Moog guitar were you and Lou. Uh, Spencer, we we had gone to the living room to see Joseph one night. Right. Yeah. And and he he had played it that night, and it it had blown me away. I'm saying, man. Oh, yeah, it blew me away. I've never forgotten. Yeah. amazing. Well, it resonates on every string. I mean, it's like, and uh, I mean. It sustains forever. It's yeah. the same forever on every, It's like having an Evo on every string, and you can blend that with a normal guitar sound. And it, it, it's wow. just—it's it, an incredible instrument, really. But mm. anyway, I always think of that. I always think of Lou when I play that guitar. So. When you play the guitar, yeah. Jimmy, you play with a lot of people too. You—you—you you, you have some uh, people that you played with that were were instrumental in Lou's life too, as well, weren't? Didn't you? 
Well, I don't know how many of them uh, with Lou, but I'd rather I'd rather stick to Lou's. Let, let's talk about Lou, and let's not talk about yeah. Him. And let's talk about Joseph. And I, I I tell you the yeah, album. Yeah, I want to hear about the that. album. Is it, it, Joseph? By the way, they're playing it all over FUV. It's get. I'm, I'm listening to FUV. I've heard it about three times each <laughs> right. day. Wow, that's good. That's oh yeah, good. And, and it's getting a lot of play. They're, they're getting a lot oh, of play. Great. And the pale blue eyes, New York City man. Is, is is the one they're really playing the life out. I love that. I love that one. Yeah. New York City uh, man, and my favorite my favorite line, and this is what I think should put the whole show in perspective, is just just the, the refrain out of the song, New York City man, blink your eyes and I'll be gone. It's yeah. Basically, the, the whole the whole that's Lou Reed, blink your eyes and I'll be gone, New York City man. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. It's, uh... It's quite poignant in, in light of uh, losing them, you know. Right. Stuff, right. But that album wouldn't have happened without Bill Bentley. Right. Bill Bentley, you can chime in. Are you still there? <laughs> I'm still here, Joe. I'll never forget I'm how I kind of tricked you into doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, We're happy you're have, here, Bill. I have, I have him to thank for it, you know. Well, I wanted to ask Joe a question. Like when when you sat down, the first song was uh, you recorded was Coney Island Baby for it. Yeah. What was going through your mind? Did you just kind of let your feelings take over, or did you have other thoughts that were guiding you? Well, I, um, you know, he put the idea in my head to do it weeks before I did it. I was on tour, and I got back. The night I got back was the memorial for Lou at the Apollo. So I literally got off the road and went straight to the Apollo and went to that. And I was so moved by that event as well and people paying tribute to Lou. And I also wasn't a part of that, you know. And I and I just felt like I, I that sealed the deal for me in a way, like to to try, you know, because I was like, yeah. you know what, I ha- I love Lou a lot, and I I need to. I need to pay tribute to this guy. I mean, to this, you know, this man and this, and this artist, you know. And I have to do it my way. And, and I, I've been, at, you know, and so I just, I live in a recording studio. So the next day I just, uh, somebody's muting and unmuting. I don't know. Uh, am I here? Hello? You're there. Oh, you're here. You're here. Oh, here, oh, here Charles. You're here. Sounds like somebody's making balloon animals or something. I know. Oh. I'm getting a lot of static here. I'm, I'm Who not, is that? I'm, I'm not. I made all my balloon it. animals uh, before <laughs> I... I know. Copy. I lost you. I kept dropping you because your signal kept going out. There you go. Oh. Stay still. <laughs> anyway, so I, uh, so I just... Uh, I, You know, Coney Island Baby was a special song for me. I, I went to... You know, the funny thing about that song is I went to Africa. I went to... Uh, Uganda, and I was doing some stuff with orphans there, and that, and I kept listening to that song in Africa for some weird wow. reason. Like it doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> I, I, I was, and I told Lou that story actually, and I don't know, it just seemed like the one to start with because somehow it had the most resonance for me, and and I started with that, and and it kind of just dictated how I was going to do the whole record, just like I, I, it came out in such a way that I thought, okay, this is. You know, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it acoustically and keep it very simple, you know. Yeah, and, and that's and what that's makes the album go. great, Joe, is that it's simple. It's just yeah. simply done, and that's what really scores well, on this. Thank you. And, and Bill, that was also Bill's suggestion to me. Yeah. Like, hey, just don't, yeah. don't overthink it. Just, 
Because I was like, when he was first asking me to do it, I was like, going, ah, I mean, this is like a daunting task on every level. Mm-hmm. And then Bill was like, just don't overthink it, just keep it simple. Right. And, and that kind of like was my sort of mantra through it, you know. Yeah, exactly. So but, but Joe, I have one, I have one Joe. quick question, Joe, because one oh, of the real ahead, hidden gems of it is yeah. sort of Damocles. What made right. you pick that song? Well, I was, you know, I was picking songs that just came to my head. Like, I, I felt like I was tapped into the process of the album. It's like, I, I feel like making an album, you, you almost get into a trance with, with the album. And with this one, it was so, you know, the, um, just the, you know, the whole thing around Lou. I was definitely mourning Lou. And so it was, it, I just... I was picking songs that I felt like related to my feelings about losing Lou. And, um, and, but also I was just having fun with it too, because I didn't want it to be like a drag, you know? But, um, but sort of Damocles, I mean, I picked two from Magic and Lost, you know? I think it's the only album that I picked two songs from. Uh, and, and it just related, it related because, uh, the subject matter was about losing somebody close you know somebody that you love you know yeah. so and an artist so it just uh it just related directly you know you know what i think makes the album so powerful joseph it is its simplicity to me it's, it's very reminiscent of what johnny cash did at the very end with the american recordings right. in his yeah. living room with two guys on acoustic guitars and that yeah. was it. it and and when i heard your take on on lose songs that's the immediate connection I made. I said, "This is this is at that level. I mean, this is where this is like something very unique that that's lacking in in, in music today, you know." And oh, I, wow. I, I think you did a fabulous job, really. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. You know, I have a question for you, Joe. It's Holly. Um, you mentioned the Apollo event that you went to. That felt like yeah. closure for you. Did that really help you transition and realize that? Your music and your CD that you did was more like a tribute, and you didn't feel so, so. Um, well, we we're all feeling well, sad, but you didn't feel as sad. No, it felt like you. It, it didn't. It, it, it didn't really feel like closure. It just. It felt like. I mean, you know, the process of mourning is something. Uh-huh. It's like a roller. It's like a roller coaster. You know, you think you're kind of like, okay, I'm over it, and then you're like, all of a sudden, you go down a steep hill, and you're not over it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and so, I, and I had been on tour since he died up until that time. So I really didn't have, you know, a, a, any fair moments really to sort of process it even though I was processing it anyway and then when uh, and when he and when I went to that event right when I got home it like it it wasn't like I could just like slip into like distracting myself I was kind of like no you need to like you need to just like really feel this and 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 process this and go through Mm -hmm. this and and that's what art does you know it like helps us process Everything, like right. even celebrate, even celebrate, you know, in 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 certain kinds of art and stuff. But like, especially like feelings of heartbreak and loss and sadness and stuff, it's just the best thing for it. It just taps us into our emotions. And so for me, you know, it, it, doing this was just a, a, a form of saying goodbye and getting to hang out with Lou all at the same time. Yeah. You know, and 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 when it was all said and done, I there was a little 
moment where I didn't know if it was even going to really get released, and, and I didn't really mind because I was walking around uh, Brooklyn in the winter listening to it on my headphones, and I was just having a moment with it where I was just like, okay, this, like, you know, it felt like the circle was complete for me or, like, I, I could, like, mm-hmm. sort of let go or something. You know, I don't know. I, it, it, talking about these things is a little bit tricky because uh, it's, it's almost, like, reductive when you openly discuss these kind of things. But then again, mm-hmm. it's, it's healthy and healing to do that as well. So. Right. Sure. I, I'm sure it was hard for you too, Sylvia. Yeah, this is uh, Sylvia. Uh, I wanted to jump in to get a chance to say, for me, I was also present at the memorial. Uh, Lori very graciously included me and allowed me to feel part of things. It was very meaningful to me. And getting to know the friends of Lou, like Joseph, and getting back together, reconnecting with the old friends of Lou, like Del, uh, it meant everything to me. It was very healing to be part of that. And I'd like to take a second, uh, Bill, before you called in, I talked very briefly about little Jimmy Scott. And I wanted uh, Bill to maybe have you make a comment about Jimmy as he was someone I was close with during the London part of our Magic and Lost tour. Jimmy was a wonderful, wonderful man. And I'd like Bill maybe to speak a little bit about how there was a resurgence in Jimmy's uh, career. Yes, I'd love to. About uh, In 1988, there's this incredible story in the Village Voice about Jimmy Scott. And I read it and just made a vow that someday I would find him and see him sing. So it took me about six months. And then in the summer of 89, I was in New York and went to see him sing. And I did something I'd never done before. I went to his dressing room after and just promised him that I would help him find a record deal. I really don't know what possessed me. I was just so moved that day at the club. There was five people in a room that held 200 to see Jimmy wow. Scott sing. And so I, I told Jimmy then I would do everything I could. And over the next two years, I, I learned a really heavy lesson. Nobody would go see him. Not one right. person would go see Jimmy because they wow. thought, you know, a 62-year-old man who looks and sings like a woman who's had failed releases, there's no way we're going to make a record with that man. And then Doc Palmas and his genius had it, I think it might have been in Doc's will, that Jimmy would sing at his funeral, knowing all the executives who would not go see Jimmy sing in a nightclub would be there and see him in the church. And that's exactly what happened. Seymour Stein saw him, called me and said, oh, you know, I saw Jimmy Scott, let's make a record. And I said, yeah, let's make a record. And it all started from then. And it just, we, Jimmy and I had so many adventures over the years, I can't even go into them. But I talked to him a week before he died, and he just recorded a song in his bed in oh Las Vegas. He did, he did oh, a wow. new version of Jimmy Over the Rainbow died? that a friend of mine wanted wow. to go record with Jimmy Scott. So he took a plane to Las Vegas, took a mic into Jimmy's bedroom, and recorded Over the Rainbow with Jimmy in bed. Oh, my this God. man wow. never Incredible. quit. Jimmy Scott is one of the most inspirational people that ever sang a song. And when Lou hooked up with Jimmy and took him on tour, that was an incredible moment, too, because I felt like all these people would see Jimmy that probably would never have seen him. And Lou, is a, as Sylvia knows, Lou is a champion of music. If he loves something, 
you couldn't stop him talking about it. And that right. was one mm-hmm. of his beauties, that he was a real visionary about other artists as well and wanted to share the spotlight. And he definitely did that with Jimmy. He did it with Anthony when he put Anthony in his band and, and a whole lot of people saw Anthony. And he, did, and he did that over and over with people. And uh, Jimmy was one of those people. And it was just, it was just to sit in a room with Jimmy Scott and Lou Reed, you, you just kind of went like, wow, this is heaven. Yeah. <laughs> they had so much fun together. At the Blue Note. I went, yeah. Um, yeah. I got to meet him. But, yeah. but Jimmy Scott is just, like, like Lou in so many ways, you know, if you're open to learning from these people, like it just doesn't get, you, you never learn more than watching these artists in action. That's awesome. Um, you know, I wanted to uh, make sure everybody knows also, uh, Sylvia, with you, I wanted to ask you a question, and I wanted to also make a really quick announcement here. Again, because I lose everybody in the middle, and we've got a lot of new people tuning in. This is the Lou Reed Tribute Show, and today, um, if you'd like to go into the chat room, the chat room is open, and if you um, would like to call in and share a story about Lou Reed, um, that you um, personally had with him. Uh, the number is three four seven six seven seven one zero three six. We do have a lot of people in the house, and uh, that leads me into this, Sylvia. I had read um, in a article that there was one song that Lou did for you um, that where he repeats your name five times um, during the song. Yes. Uh, there was a, a particularly touching song early in our love, and um, it's still very meaningful. I can't listen to that version, and I'm still very much uh, missing him. And uh, There is another version that I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of, as a, a younger band that's done it somewhat recently, and it, it was very good. I listen to other versions, and I, I can't hear his voice doing it. It's just, it was really an important song to me, and uh, that that was the um, the genuine voice of Lou. That's how he could express a lot of things, you know, in a song. Uh, not, it's just. It's just wonderful when there's an uh, that I have some sort of memory that can be experienced in song. I appreciate it. I think about it quite a lot, and I'm glad that he shared that with all of his the many oh, yeah, people absolutely. who love his music. It's a beautiful song. Um, the name of the song again is in the Angel Arms. Isn't it? We can tell them it's heavenly arms. Hello? 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 Do you, do you hear me? Um, the name of the song is Heavenly Arms. Yes, sorry. Yeah. My phone just fell on the floor. Uh, <laughs> I just dropped somebody from 845. Who was calling from 845? Yeah. I think... I think um, I know I just dropped my phone. That's not me, but I just dropped my phone. Because I dropped one of the phone call, one of the callers on the line here, eight four five, which I believe was you, is is gone. What line are you on now? I'm Sylvia, and I'm on the one that starts with four. 
Yeah, I lost the yeah, 845 number. No, I don't I know who called. I dropped my phone. Yeah, it says I dro- I, there was a call that um, dropped well, off. Well, perhaps they'll call work. back, um, Holly. I wouldn't worry. They'll call back because I've been dropped a few times. I just called back. <laughs> yeah, no, I, ke- I kept dropping people. But, Sylvia, thank you for sharing that story with me because I, I had read that and... Um, I thought that was very touching, um, and uh, I can understand how that would be a hard song to hear. Yeah. Joseph. Yeah. Joe, you got any more loose stories? I've heard a lot of them myself from you. (laughs) (laughs) The birthday party. You played at Lou's birthday. Well, let's see. I don't know. Remember the birthday what about Bill? Bill's got some good ones. Yeah, Bill's got stories. I'm, I'm you, you know what? I, I'm going to defer telling them. I just feel they're personal. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I honor that. That's great. Off. I honor that. Yeah, I have great uh, respect for that, Bill. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I have, pretty... uh, this, is good. this is Eric. I haven't been in here yet. but um, Eric, come I'm on on. Man- I'm managing editor at CMJ.com. I was in a punk band, the New Bomb Turks, for a long time. We were all big Lou Reed fans. <laughs> Sylvia... Sylvia, I want to say that uh, I spent most of my 16th year lying on a bed with headphones on looking at the cover of Legendary Heart, so thanks for that. Um, and uh, I have a story. You know, you guys are obviously very personally connected, so I feel a little silly, but but this is because uh, I'm just coming from a fanboy perspective. Oh, no, Eric, we're but, happy you're here. No, no, well, I'm happy okay, to be man. here, too. But, but I, uh, I, you know, I, I met Lou in ways over the years at various book events or speaking events or what have you. And as we all know, you know, he does, uh, somebody mentioned earlier interviewing him, and most people who had to go into interviewing Lou, you you know, you were worried about it or something. So he had this reputation of being, he could be curmudgeonly or whatever, you know, and um, sometimes, you know. And I always found him, he had to sort of, you, the humor was there, you just had to kind of look for it sometimes. And um, my my friend and I went to go see at Housing Works about three years ago or so. Lou was at Housing Works. Uh, maybe it was for the Raven book, I'm not sure. But it was a packed house with a lot of sort of luminaries and everything, and it was very serious and, and very, you know, the questions were very softball. You know, like literally a guy was like, uh, Mr. Reed, uh, why are you so awesome? You know, it was like stuff like that. <laughs> and, um, and so a friend of mine showed up drunk, which was this, I won't say who this guy is, but he's awesome. He's a huge Lou Reed fan. And he's sitting next to me, and he kept yelling out, what about the ostrich? What about the ostrich? You know, he wanted to hear about Do the Ostrich, was a song that Lou did on Pickwick Records back in 65 or whatever. Great song. You know, we, we love those, like, lost, weird Pickwick songs that Lou Reed did, You're Driving Me Insane and all this. So he kept yelling, what about You're Driving Me Insane? You know, it's pretty obnoxious <laughs> and funny. And, um, and Lou at one point goes, like, I'm, I'm not going to talk about that old stuff. It's not important to me, you know. So clearly he could tell that my friend, you know, really, really wanted to know about the ostrich. And at the end, it was so funny because the the host was like, we're wrapping this up. Everybody come up and get a book signed or whatever. And Lou said, you know what? And then he just went off for about five minutes talking about working at Pickwick and talking about making the ostrich. And I just thought that was so cool. I thought it was so cool because he could have... You know, he's known as this, this kind of like, sometimes, you know, as we know, you know, Lou, there, there's this kind of perspective that he can be this way. And you could tell that he really appreciated that. And then my friend had a copy of the record and brought it up, and Lou talked about it some more, and he signed it and everything like that. So just like fanboy story, but it was, it was pretty cool. You know, it was pretty funny. 
I want to bring up something. I, I saw, uh, uh, and you know this, Holly, uh, Mick Rock and Lou did a Transformer book. And, yeah, the Transformer um, release at we John Barbados. Yeah. Right, and I was at John Barbados for the book signing, and it was a very moving thing for me because I met Lou there and Mick, and... Um, and, and like Lou uh, grabbed my hand, you know, and I said, thank you for all you've done for me in my life and Judith and our life. And he just like, grabbed my hand, and it was, it was so moving for me. It was, it was the last time I ever saw Lou. Louis Slavery passed. But, and, um, yeah, can I say really quick? I was also at that. I wanted to say really quick that Lou, yeah. like, I saw Lou a few times over the last few years, and he was definitely looking sickly. And then at that thing, he really looked better. Like, we really thought, like, right. oh, I guess yeah. that operation or all that stuff took because he looked a right. little better. He was fairly talkative, but you could tell that him and Nick were very, saying a lot of I love yous and a lot of hugs. Yeah. And so there was a definite feeling in the room, and as it turned out, it was his last live appearance in public, his last right. public appearance. And I just thought it was so, it was even, it hit even harder. I was at a record convention in Brooklyn. Uh, I was at a record show in, uh, at Warsaw in Brooklyn, looking through records, and a guy, one of the dealers just said to me, hey, Lou Reed just died. And I just, I couldn't believe it because he, he seemed okay. I mean, he was seemed real, real, wasn't it? Yeah, but it seemed all right. It was really intense. And somebody filmed the whole thing. You can find it on YouTube, um, the whole entire thing with Nick Rock. And it was it was really amazing. And then I went to see the week after Lou died, Julian Schnabel showed the Berlin movie at the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens. Mm. And he showed up and did a kind of a quick Q&A. And he said that he went over Lou's house, um, that he said that Thursday before he died. The friends, the close friends got a call and said, hey, if you want to see Lou, you should probably pop by. And he went for the weekend, and he, well, one night, he went Friday night, and he watched the Berlin movie with Lou. And uh, he said Lou was funny. He was still complaining about guitar parts he thought he missed and stuff like that. <laughs> it's really funny. And he said that's probably the last movie he ever ever watched. So Anyway, oh, wow. didn't interrupt but, yeah. No, no, no. You know, Mick was actually invited to be part of the show. Um, Mick may still call in. I'm not really sure, but... Um, Mick was invited, and also I wanted to say Dick Wagner was invited. He was the one that did um, Rock and Roll Animal with him and did the really killer rendition of Sweet Jane with him. Um, yeah, wow. So he was invited to call in, too. I lost a caller for 424. Who's 424? Well, if you lost them, they're not going to answer that question, are they? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm asking everyone else here. Who, who did we lose? We got Joseph, um, we got Bill, we got Bill. Bill, are you there? Judith? Bill, Bill is, is here. Is Bill here? Did Jimmy, did, was that Jimmy? Did we lose Jimmy? Uh-oh. I think we Bill. lost Jimmy McElliott. Oh. We lost Jimmy. Jimmy, well, call back in. Call back in, Jimmy. Jimmy's call awesome. Back. I love Jimmy. I, yeah, I, I like so to bring, you know what, I like to bring, let me talk for a second. I, I like to bring Jimmy in on our shows because Judith and I feel he's, he has that musician mind and he's also got a great music history mind. So that's why we like to bring him in and he always has these great quips or, or notes on things and he really goes one-to-one with the musician that's on. So we want to say, hi, Jimmy, come on back. 
<laughs> you know, the New York tour, I wanted to say you were talking about the New York album earlier, and I saw that tour in Columbus, Ohio, and in Cleveland, so it was 89, and after the Columbus show, which was really awesome, it was great, We, uh, me and a friend waited outside for, you know, like an hour and a half or something, trying to meet him down by the outside, like backstage room door or whatever, and they obviously were waiting to kind of weed out the people that weren't nutto fans like myself. So it got down to about 15, 20 people. And Lou came out, and they had a minivan that was going to take him to the hotel or whatever. And they slid the door open, and Lou just sat in that minivan talking to fans for like an hour and signing photographs and everything. Wow. And I went up to him, and I was a budding rock critic dude, and I walked up to him, and I said, Hey, you know, um, what do you have to say about your relationship with Lester Banks? And he just said... Well, um, Lester and I were very famous friends. That's all he said. And then <laughs> I, I, look, I walked away, and I looked back and noticed that he had pulled out the glossies to sign, and I wanted one, so I went back. And he's like, didn't we just talk? And, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, then, he, and then I'm like, but I want a picture. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, right, right. So he pulls out the picture and signed it. He was very nice, and, you know, I know that, again, somebody mentioned earlier that Luke could be intimidating to journalists or sometimes unless you're really talking the tech stuff and all that but the times I met him, he was always he was always pretty cool about stuff. Welcome to entertainment. <laughs> What's that? I'm that, was, that, that was weird. Uh, There's some ring. That's like uh, that's uh, Welk Entertainment. That's Vanguard Records. That's Bill. Oh. Yeah. Hey, you got. <laughs> I have to, uh, I have to go into a session now, so I got a, I got a split. But hey, thanks Who's a lot that, for Jeff? being on, Joe. Thanks a lot for being on. Thanks I love you, man. Calling, I, I, I love you too, man. And thank you guys so much for, uh, you know. Thank uh, you for doing the movie. You got a, hey, Joe. You got a hot album. You got a hot album. It's really great. Thanks, my friend. I'll see you guys around, Bill. Okay, bro. Have, have a good day. day. Have a good day. Bye, Joe. Uh, See you guys later. Bye-bye. So, Sylvia, are you still there? Yes. Yes. Sylvia, I, I wanted I, to ask you. I, yeah, just for a second. Is, uh, I wanted to pull it back a little bit to the You're album cover artwork because event. someone just talked about um, the New York album. And yeah. I, I remember a funny story. On the back, the copy reads, it's, these are notes that, Lou made that he wanted on the liner notes. And on the back it says, I'm on the left and the guitarist, the other guitarist, Mike Rasky, is on the right. Now, Lou is referring, of course, to the sound. He's talking about where his guitar is placed in, the, in what you're experiencing when you listen and then where Mike Rasky is placed in terms of you're listening to it and the guitar that you hear in your left is Lou and the one on the Right is Mike Rasky, great guitarist, by the way, who we worked with for many, many years, who was a, a dear friend of mine. In fact, he's my, it, he was uh, the brother-in-law. He was married to my sister for some years. No longer, but uh, that's an interesting tidbit. Uh, so anyway, when people looked at the front cover of New York and saw these five figures, these five men, we, of course, this is, each one of these is Lou posed in a different pose, and we assembled it, and that was the whole point of the cover. It's like there's five Lou's in different poses, wearing different clothes, and this creates the little, the little group of men that's on the cover. 
people stared at this album cover, and they kept believing that the figure that's on the left is Lou, and the one <laughs> lighting a cigarette on the right was Mike, <laughs> which was kind of a misinterpretation that led to a lot of funny comments during publicity tours. Um, I want to. Oh, I just. I just want to say something that that the photographer on that album was wearing Abbott, who did those photographs on the yes, New York thank album. Thank you, thank you, Spencer. And wearing Abbott, and I should give credit to. He was a great photographer and yeah. worked with Lou for uh, several years, doing some really wonderful work. And at the same time, also what I mentioned before about the songs for Drella Package, the one that ended up nomination for a Grammy. I want to give a shout out to Tom Rashawn. He was the one of those art director that I collaborated with and I would be remiss of me not to mention him and uh, send a hello to him. I mean, hey, too, I, gotta I, I gotta bow I, out of here. This is Eric. I gotta get out. A friend is in town. I'm, you know, a musician. I'm Eric, going to see play. I gotta get out oh, of here. Eric, thanks for being on, man. Hey, hey I thank you very much. And Sylvie, I, I just want to say thanks again for all the hard work and the ideas and everything on the record covers because, again, large portion of my youth and to this day I stare and look at those things and play them all the time. So thank you. I, I want to say, thank hey, you. Eric, Eric, i got to say one thing. You wrote in a 545 book, and yeah. you did a great writing, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks. I also put a book out. It's a little plug here. I put out my own book called We Never Learn a few years ago, about 90s uh, underground punk band. So anyway, that's oh, how cool. I throw that in. Well, take care, Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Hey, take care, Eric. This is Holly. Thanks again. Thanks, Thanks for Thank being you. on. Thank you. So, um, Sylvia, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, it's Holly. I um, had a quick question I wanted to ask you. Um, what was it like around your house during the holidays um, with Lou, if you guys were in town? Uh, that's very funny. I will just sum it all up by saying his religion was music, if he had one. It would be a guitar sound or maybe one of those old great doo-wop numbers. In fact, you know what it was? We went to see Al Green together. If anybody knows about um, going to see Al Green, sometimes he shows up, sometimes he doesn't. A wonderful artist, huge talent. And uh, that was as close to spirituality as... I think uh, Lou would ever own up to is like that that was a, a um, religious experience of seeing Al Green. Yeah, that's great. So did you guys celebrate Christmas at home, or um, did you have a tree and stuff like that? Did you get into decorating? <laughs> yeah, I, I, think I just want to know. We, let's leave it at that, that Holly. <laughs> okay, let's leave it at that. Uh, okay. Is, is, is Bill Bentley there? Bill, Bill left. He left. Okay, so we're set with... Do we have any other interesting stories? Uh, Larry. Yeah. Do you have any interesting stories to add? Yeah, actually, the first time I encountered Lou, I was on, walking down 14th Street, and I was, uh, I don't know, I think I was just out of college, about 1981 or so. And I looked up at him, and I nodded to him, and he nodded back. And we just kept on walking in opposite directions. And I was like, you know, that was actually a pretty good encounter because you, you know, you quit while you're ahead. (laughs) 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 
I, you know, I didn't feel slighted at the least, actually. <laughs> it, was a, it was a kind of funny moment. Um, and then once um, in Boston, uh, he was doing a record signing, and the, the line ended right in front of me. So it was like, once again, I didn't have a chance to say hello to Blue Reed, you know. Um, and then once at Brentano's, uh, Sylvie and I once talked about this. Um, um, we, we were trying to set up an interview, but it just didn't happen, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and we were, you know, I just got, I sort of rushed through the line. Um, but it was, it was great when I finally did get to meet him. Um, and the thing about... Um, you know, I had a load of questions about, you know, was he really into Bob Dylan and, you know, when he played at the Bob Fest. And, you know, he recited the lines for me from that song, Foot of Pride, which, you know, is a very wordy type thing. And even though he had done it, you know, quite a while before that, it, it was like yesterday for him. I mean, he had this yeah. immediate recall of, um, of things. And uh, one of the things about... Um, I asked him about, well, I got on his good side when I told him that um, one of the songs on The Raven, I thought, so Who Am I was the song, how I thought that I could hear Tony Bennett singing it, singing it in my head and Johnny Cash, like it was a, a standard. And he, he said, you know, bless you. He goes, he says, in his mind, you know, it was every bit as good as Perfect Day. And, you know, which became like something of a standard. Um, so, you know, that, that that was at the point that the interview, I was really confident. Because I screwed up one thing. I said, you know, uh, I was talking about Ornette Coleman with him. And I said, oh, he, he, he appeared on um, one of your tracks. And I think they said, no, it was two of my tracks. <laughs> you know? And I you know, wanted to crawl into like a hole, you know. <laughs> I was, I had, a, I had an experience, I was coming out of Verve Records, and I'm walking down the street, and everybody's dressed in black, and I see this guy standing on the corner dressed in white, and it's far away on 57th Street, I don't know who it is, I start walking towards, that's where I'm going to the subway, and it's Lou, and he's standing on the corner with a white t-shirt and white jeans, and um, I don't know why he's there, and, and I said to Lou, you know, we're talking, and he said, hey, how you been? And I said, well, I just came out of Verve Records. And the first thing he says to me, Larry, he says, Verve doesn't pay, doesn't, doesn't pay jazz musicians. Then I look, <laughs> you know, and I've been, you know, I mean, that's typical, right? I mean, I love it. I mean, <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, the other thing I, the other, one another thing I asked him about was metal machine music. And whether he felt, you know, he got really uh, derided for, you know, noise and, you know, why is he wasting the record company's money on this? But they knew they had to put it out because of the contract. And then meanwhile, a, uh, a serious uh, classical music organization in Germany recreated the music. So I asked Lou if he felt vindicated. And he said, absolutely. You know, and now it's getting recorded the way it really needed to. You know? Really? Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, he maintained that that was a serious project and it was not, mm -hmm. you know, like a, a feud to the record company or anything like that. Um, and in fact, he, I gave him two things to sign. One was a promo copy of Metal Machine Music on vinyl, oh. and, and then the other one was an eight-track tape of uh, The Velvet Underground Live at Maxis. And he, oh. so he, found, he found like a silver 
10 to like make sure it you know, came out on the uh, the 8 track, which I thought oh, was really nice of him. You know, yeah. he didn't really yeah. have to go out of his way to do something like that. Right, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think awesome. you all have to remember that Lou uh, experienced over and over again people at the time not quite getting what he was doing. You know, his it, his work for the in the Velvet Underground and the Velvet Underground themselves being you know appreciated much later with a lot more um, you know commonality than when it first came out. Uh, and this has happened over and over. The Berlin album, you know, it took some time for people to. Uh, sort of evolved to the point where they're listening to this and knowing, you know, just uh, what amazing work this was. So this was something that happened over and over again to other artists as well. But keep that in mind. So, so. Yeah, and actually, so, Holly yeah. mentioned before uh, yeah. Rock and Roll Animal, and that, yeah. that was actually, I was about 14 or 15 when that came out, and it was my first... Um, uh, entree to his music, and I immediately went back and learned about the Velvet Underground and got all those old records, um, and then you know backtracked to Berlin and um, Transformer a bit, and, and um, you know, and then became like a you know huge fan. Ever I probably saw him maybe 20 times in concert. The last time was in 2008, and uh, he had John Zorn in the band, and. It, you know, he really gave John Zorn so much space musically. You know, it was almost like a jazz concert. Um, and, uh, you know, it was really, I mean, it was really interesting to, to hear him in that type of setting. Um, so, um, I, you know, I, 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 I regret it. Yeah. Okay, everybody, you're talking uh, over each other. We only have a few minutes. So I wanted to, to just say my goodbyes and once again tell everyone how wonderful it was to collaborate with Spencer and Judith on this artwork that meant so much. One thing we didn't get a chance to talk about was the cover of the Between Thought and Expression book, the selected lyrics of Blue Reed published by Hyperion. Uh, we used a Matt McHurry photograph for that. All, all packaged in artwork that I was very proud of and um, very enjoyable to work with people who didn't resent a wife cutting her nose in. So I've always been grateful for that. And for the we other still people have a little time, Sylvia, in the business like. who, who talked to, uh, you know, that I was put in the position of working with, and uh, they were all, uh, they all became supporters, I think, of my appreciation of what I was trying to do to further the work because that was, of course, very important to Lou. And so I just wanted to feel like I said that. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you, Judith. And thank you, Sylvia. And thank you, Sylvia. And thank you, Sylvia, from us. Okay. Thank you, Molly. We still have a little time if you'd like to stay on. No, I, I'm, I'm uh, going to bow No, it's time. She has thank to you go, very much, Holly. Holly. She has to go. Oh, okay, Sylvia. Experience. Thank you so much for being here today. This was a great experience, and uh, thank you for the chance to uh, let people know about the uh, great work that uh, Spencer and Judith did. And that and so And about Lou, Bye-bye. yeah, definitely. So okay, thank you so much, Sylvia. Bye-bye. Okay, so who okay. do we still have on the line? We have um, Spencer and... 
Larry's story. And Larry. Larry. Okay, and Larry. Uh, Larry, any Larry other story, Spencer. Larry? Do you have another story? Yeah. What's that? Do you have another story? Any others? Or are we? Um, I asked him about, you know, how, uh, well, getting back to, like, hearing, he said he loved other people singing his songs, and specifically we talked about Maureen Tucker, um, you know, After Hours, and I'm sticking uh, to you. I mean, it was the type of song that Lou, you know, felt that somebody else should be singing, not himself. I think, I think he was, like, very unselfish that way. You know, like, he... he uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's a true musical genius. He wasn't thinking just about himself. Right, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, the, the albums that you spent the most time talking, we, we talked the most about, um, well, my favorites, you know, New York and, and Magic and Loss of his. You know, he, um, you know, and I, you know, I think it's, you know, he, in terms of his, um, you know, passing away, I mean, I think he, you know, he really prepared for it, you know, on that album 20 years ago, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I muted, hey, I muted Judith, I'm sorry, I muted Judith because she's talking to Sylvia, I think, when they're leaving. No, we're at, you um, know what, just Holly, let's knows, go. Yeah, yep. just so everybody knows, we have um, Spencer, Spencer, Judith, and Sylvia are all in the same location right now. So that's why there was a little bit of a feedback, but we were so happy to have Sylvia on the show today, and I want Sylvia to know that I have the um, very much respect for her and uh, her decisions and what she did with uh, um, Lou's career and um, also the packaging and everything else. I think it's really important that we remember Lou too as um, a musician and also as a as an as a true artist. That he was right, and and you know you what, know? the show told everything because the album covers were very important, and you can see the stories uh-huh. were things that people didn't hear, and we had our other stories with our other great guests. So I think the whole show told different sides of Lou, which yeah. ordinary shows usually <laughs> don't, Ask and stories that nobody Judith knew again. about. Okay. Judith yeah, is I muted Judith so, again just so she knows. Just so if she comes up, on she, talking, yeah, she'll you know. know. No, no, Judith is off, so let's go to Pop Culture News, dear. Judith is gone? Judith's still yeah. on. Okay, no, I have uh, 212, which is you, and then I have 917. Is that you, Larry? Yeah. And then I have okay, 917. Okay, she's, she's cutting herself off. Yeah, she's cutting herself off. Okay, I'll just go ahead and disconnect the call. That's fine. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, it. just connect the honey. Okay. Yeah. That's Great fine. show. Great show. Great show. Yeah, I, um, Absolutely amazing. I think it's... You know, I think it's really, I think that this is really good and, um, you know, to let people know because a lot of people were wanting to know more about what Lou was like and what it was like, you know, um, working with Lou. And um, I think that this covered a lot about the music and the packaging and um, different experiences people had um, with Lou. Which is important, right, exactly. I think. And that's what's yeah. important. I think, oh, man, there was so many great stories here. But and I just wanted to know the stories yeah. behind some of the songs. I wanted to know what was the story behind the song that we opened up with, Walk on the Wild Side. Um, does anybody, can anybody tell me that? Larry? Well, or, I, well, I think it was, you know, him hanging out with the, the, the Andy Warhol crew. 
Yeah. You know, so Hollywood Lawn and um, Candy Darling. Right. Joe exactly. Alessandro. Right. Yeah, right. they all have their own For a lot of people that don't know, you know what I mean? I think it's important that we and talk about well, that. The, well, the album that he tells the story is on uh, the live album, Take No Prisoners, which came out in 1978, which is a really funny album to listen to because he has like these... Uh-huh. Long-winded prefaces on every song about you know what the you know, how he came to write the song, you know, and he's fighting with the audience, you know, you know to shut up and all this stuff. Um, so I recommend you know it's probably still in print, um, and um, you know I mean the great thing about I don't know if your listenership listens to Spotify, yeah. Um, um, but the whole Lou Reed, you know, catalog is there, you know, on demand, easy to get to. Oh, great. That's good to let everyone know. So on Spotify, the whole Lou Reed, yes. Lou Reed uh, yeah. library is there? Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Okay. All right. And um, and I'm, I'm so glad you are piping in on this, Larry, because it was really hard for me to understand some of the stuff that was going on during this show. I, um, I, I think it's great. We talked about the packaging, and we know more about Lou as a person. And that's a funny story that you told about Spencer about him being in white on the corner. That's <laughs> right. funny. I mean, he's got there, there are a couple. Of, like Judith and I were at a Hermes Gallery opening, uh-huh. and uh, Lou. It was a book. It was like a photo signing. It was a new photo. One of his books. A photo. He's very big in. Mm-hmm. If people don't know, he's very big in photo books. He did a several photo books that Steve Kasher Gallery uh, handled and handle mm-hmm. some blues work. And uh, so we're at this opening, Holly and Larry, and um, and Judith and I are there, and uh, David Bowie show up, by the way, and it was a big crowd. It was a whole scene. And so all these people are there, and all of a sudden we start, we get in front of Lou, and Lou starts talking to us. And what's really amazing is it's like everybody parted the ways, like the, like the Red Sea parted, and he's talking to us for about 15, 10, 15 minutes alone with all these people around him. <laughs> And he's telling, oh, Judith, those slides in the show were great. He really told her how great the slides were that she painted and the design and everything. And it was really funny. It was like we were there with him in this closed in circle, Holly, for about 10, 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, and then boom, the crowd comes in. But it was an mm-hmm. amazing experience. I mean, J- Lou with us varied his moods. In the early part, when we worked with him, it was more like we were working with Sylvia. And when we saw him backstage... He was kind of like Lou, kind of moody. And then later, he started really opening up to us as people. And um, so it was very interesting, the changes he would go through. And people yeah, always Lou, right? Because people would say that, you know, that they would, like they were talking here with us, that, you know, he, they were, he was moody or something. And then all of a sudden, he'd open up like with Larry. And then it's very interesting, his moods. Well, he was an artist. You know. That's how most artists are. Yeah. But, you know, well, he was um, more, you know, there was he a was, lot of yeah. things. Yeah. There were a lot of things that people did, that people um, have read, and people have been texting me and sending mm-hmm. me messages during the show, and they wanted to know more about, like um, when David Bowie worked with Lou. Um, I'm sorry, Sylvia is off the phone already, but you know what it was like with David Bowie working with him during his career um, when he worked on some of the music with him, mm-hmm. and um, and then his transition over to the Velvet Revolver and how. That really opened up a whole new genre of music for him. 
right. because he was working with more than one person. You know, well, we can he, always have so, – you know what? We can have uh-huh. Sylvia back, Holly. We can get Sylvia back at the right time. That'd be but great. She had to go. And, she had, yeah, you know. And so yeah, there, we can do a show, show about there. his uh, – you know, that's a good thought, to do a show on that premise. You know what I mean, what you're talking yeah. about on that premise. That's a good idea. But she's um, exhausted, and she has to leave. She yeah, has to no, I understand that. But yeah, let, let's, um, can we go to pop culture news? Because I've got to spend time with Sylvia before she leaves. And oh, so you want to switch up the show right now? Yeah, if okay. I could. It's only because... Hey, Larry. Larry. All right, yeah. Did you want to... Hey, Larry. Did you want to hang out? Did you want to hang out for pop culture news, or would you like me to mute you? Because um, we're just basically going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the city. Because I thought we were going to go a little bit longer, but um, it, it, I guess everybody decided to. Uh, um, they had stuff they had to do, so. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, I, I need to get to go on Jeffrey's uh, gig. Actually. Okay. I want to thank while. you so much for calling in, Larry. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, and we finally connected, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Enough for lack of trying. You and I are playing phone tag. But thank you so much, and thank you yeah. for sharing all your stories about Lou, because it was thanks, really Larry. important, I think, that people knew that. Yeah. yeah thanks, to, thanks to Spencer for inviting me, especially. Well, it's my pleasure, man. And you did it. Okay. You know, I, I just want to tell you, uh, Larry wrote a great write-up on Joseph's album, and also covered Joseph at the City Winery. Um, uh-huh. And we were with uh, Sylvia there, and it was really great. It was a really great event, and Larry uh, had to do with that, you know. Yeah, well, the thing about that album, by the way, is that, you know, I have, like, at least 12 to 15 Lou Reed Velvet Underground tribute albums. And oh, really? none of them, yeah, none of them are as listenable as, as, as um, Joseph's is. That's a great you know, story. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it really, uh, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with Joseph's voice, you know, because you hear the songs in a different way, you know. Mm-hmm. Compared to, mm-hmm. I think the problem is most of the people who do his do cover versions are um, trying to imitate him a bit or so, you know. Right, yeah. And you know, what's True. the point in that, you know? Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right, man. Yeah. Uh, well, right. I want to thank so, you so much, Larry, for being here today, and I hope that you have a wonderful. Um, it is Friday, guys. Um, <laughs> everyone that's listening, have a wonderful weekend, and we are going to pop into pop culture news. And Larry, um, keep in touch, okay? I will. All right. Yeah, make Thanks. sure you keep in touch because uh, um, we're on every Wednesday and Friday, and then we do a um, indie cafe show once a month with Spencer and Judith, and um, we, um, Red Velvet Media um, is on every Wednesday and Friday, and what we do is we focus on pop culture, cutting-edge music, you know, authors and stuff like that. We've got some really exciting interviews coming up with Anne Rice and stuff like that. So, And I know, Spencer, you've got, like, um, we've got some really amazing interviews coming up um, on the Indie Cafe coming up. Okay, pop culture, pop culture. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I guess he's he, he okay. Oh, right. All right, I'll see you. I'll see you guys. Have a wonderful right. day. I'll see you, okay. Larry. I'll see you, Larry. Thank you. All right. All right. Love you guys. Love you guys. So Spencer, you want to go into pop culture? I, I gather you're being pressured to get off the phone. So let's. Yeah, I've got to like I got to leave. I got to got something to go to. But it's a it was a good show. You know, it was a good show. Okay, well let's go into pop culture news then. Here you go. Cool. 
wants yesterday's papers? Who wants yesterday's guns? Who wants yesterday's papers? Nobody in the world. Steve Conti, let's see, was at the Bowery Electric. 
June 17th. That was a great show. Um, Richie Sam... Oh, show's coming. This is amazing. Richie Sambora will be uh, playing at the Iridium. That's great. I know Richie. Right? Richie Sambora. And then, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, We're going to see the English Beat Sunday night at uh, the um, City Winery. They're on tour, Mm -hmm. and I think we're going to be doing their packaging, actually, later in the year. They want us to do that. Let's see, Rough Trade. i got to talk about Rough Trade. Rough Trade is a vinyl store in Brooklyn, and actually Blondie played there uh, several weeks ago, and it's an incredible vinyl store that's in Brooklyn. People want to buy vinyl, go to uh, Rough Trade. It's on 64th and 9th Street in Brooklyn. But i got to tell you, Holly, an amazing vinyl store. It's just bringing vinyl back. Um, I believe we had our favorite flavor wire listening to us today. And um, let's see, what else? Oh, Come on, God. I know you have more because you've always oh got Oh, my God, I don't know, man. It's, it's all in New York. crazy stuff. I have a, what have the cutting room here, Richie something. Oh, Richie Scarlett, our friend yeah, Richie Scarlett. Yeah, Richie Scarlett, yeah, we talked about him last time. Yeah, he's yeah, going to be yeah. on the show soon, too. He's going to be on the show. Uh, the mm-hmm. same night, now this is interesting, the same night that uh, Willie Nile played, I had a choice between him or Lenny Kay, and I want to see Willie, and that's how I met James Maddox, so that was great. But Lenny Kay played the same night. He does a thing called Nuggets. It's a show, he had Joe Ely playing with him that night. He's going to uh-huh. do a Nuggets, Nuggets tour in July uh, I believe it's July 6th, and uh, at the uh, at the winery again, which would be a really cool show with Lenny Kay. And um, I don't know. There's another thing that I got actually ordered, which I, I'll tell you. If people are into film, they've got to get this book. It's called Film Noir, N-O-I-R, by Tasha. Uh-huh. And if you're into film, you know that whole film noir period, Holly? It's an mm-hmm. amazing book. Mm-hmm. I, I, I actually ordered the book. It's incredible. And then um, I guess what's going on also in our lives, we just got a uh, got we got we're going to be film judges at the Southeastern Film Festival next March in uh, Atlanta, and we're going to and I believe the festival is going to be in Nashville five or six months after, and we'll have a music and film thing there. And I'm going to be Judith and I are involved. We're on the board, so we're going to be involved with getting that whole thing. Yeah, it's very exciting. So we're going to have, like, Chris Franz on the board and really cool people. Yeah, that's great. I know Chris. I might even have you on the board, Holly. I might even have you on the board. I have so many things. If I have time time to be on a board, I'll be on a board. But... Well, you know, well, you know it's what? It's, vote, it's voting for film. Like, be a film judge. So you, you judge like uh, ten films on computer. It's really easy, and that's it. You be a film yeah, judge. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Um, well, you know, we have the Instagram contest that you're involved in. That's going to be, um, you know, wrapping up fairly shortly. Um, and yeah, um, that's true. I wanted to talk about um, some of the things that are happening here in California and some of the things that I'm working on as well. Um, yeah, we, have, we have we um, have coming up here, I, it's tonight, and um, it's tonight and um, Saturday night, and then it ends on Sunday. Uh, the John Lennon, art, artwork of John Lennon is going to be in downtown wow. Heldsburg, which is really cool. And also Playing weird. for Change is going to be live in San Francisco in a mm-hmm. couple weeks. 
And playing for change is really cool. I mean, if you know, you listen to them. They're, it talks about indie artists, and you talk about indie cafe. Indie artists, those are great indie artists always doing really amazing work. And I wanted to let everyone know that um, we will try to get as many of the indie artists on as possible. That's what Wednesday's shows are about on Red Velvet Media are mostly about indie artists and people that are just coming out. Um, and it was really fun doing this Lou Reed show today because there was a lot of things that I had read about Lou, and um, I was very curious, and I'm, 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 I'm kind of bummed out that I didn't get to ask as many. Well, I know Sylvia had to go, but there were quite a few other things. So let's do a second show with her and uh, I think so. So make sure that line. we get some of those things. Yeah, because I want to know about the Bowie days because there were a lot of people that were um, texting me and asking me about the Bowie days <clears throat> and also about the um, times with, um, uh, you know, when when Lou was playing with other people and, and uh, his times with Andy Warhol. Um, it was great to go over all yeah. the different albums and stuff. Yeah, because I think a lot of people don't really understand what really goes into creating an album, and I think it's really important that we were able to explain that. And And I hope that we didn't lose too many people on that, but um, it's interesting. It's really interesting. And it's well, those are the stories, believe it or not, like, uh, I mean, those are the stories that are going to be in books. I mean, uh, I think, uh-huh. you know, something like that. I mean, those, those yeah. are things that that people, believe it or not, they they like to know that they don't know anything about that stuff, and they, they love to know that it's like, you know, reading the liner notes, you know. It's like, uh, you know, and story, you see, Sylvia had all these incredible stories, how they put things together for what reason, what it was all about, and people want to know that, too. You know, they really want to well, know yeah, and I also want to thank I want to thank Mick um, wherever you are um, yeah, for trying to call Mick. in, and for the Transformer um, book that you did. I think that's great, and uh, that was a very moving moment. And as um, Larry pointed out, that that mm-hmm. whole um, production of the Transformer book is on YouTube. You can check it out where you can see the whole interview. And I think that that was really an amazing moment for Lou, too, because that was like where he really got to tell his story. So I think that that's the important part that everybody needs to know, and I know that you probably need to go because you have people still there. So, But you know, you know what is interesting? Mixed life with Lou is like, what, 40 years? Patty? You know? It's about 40 years of being together, I think, with Lou and Mick. They've been together quite a while, uh-huh. Yeah. So it, that's interesting. I mean, their whole life, to, it's kind of like what Bob Gruen was with John and Yoko, you know what I mean? They had a lot of years with them, and, mm-hmm. you know, people yeah, sort of missed. And, yeah, you know, it's really, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure Mick is still going through a thing of, of, of healing, you know. Oh, he is. And, you know, you know, I think it's really important when you, people realize when you're a photographer and you are asked to be really part of something, you get so integrated into it. You're almost like a family sure. member. It's like, That's you know, you're right. sleeping some either exactly house, right. eating with exactly them. Right. Um, you know, if anybody wants to really know more about what's behind the Transformer book that um, Mick did, you can check that out. And if you want to know more about what went into a lot of Lou's albums and the behind-the-scenes stuff, um, you can check that out also online. And it's really nice to know that all of Lou's music is available on um, Spotify. Which That's I think right. a lot of people didn't that really was know cool. about. That's exactly right. You know, so we are ending oh. the show today with a song called um, uh, "Dirty Boulevard," 
Um, let's talk about that song really quick. Um, I I really wanted to know the meanings behind this. Do you know anything about Dirty Boulevard and what that song meant to Lou? I, I, I really don't. I mean, Sylvie would probably have the story on that, but... Um I yeah, mean, well, it's such a New York. It's it's yeah. it's so yeah. That's such a New York song. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. it's like to me, and it is very. If you, it's like uh, Joe put it on the album. He was, he was tell, actually Joe was telling me that it was a very important song. One, one of course, not all the songs. All the songs were important, but he he said that was one song he had to put on the album. And it is when you when you think of the New York album, that's that, that was probably what you call the hit song on the album. If there was such a thing, because that song got played so so much from the album. But it's such a uh-huh. New York New York street song. I mean, it's like it, it it resonates. You know, it just resonates. That Lou gritty type of lyric. The lyrics on it alone are so heavy. You know, and well, it's, it's just, one of my favorite songs. Feel, it's one of my favorite yeah. songs. I just found, um, I I asked somebody that worked with Lou that is actually texting me. He wasn't um, able to call because he's in session. He said that the meaning behind Dirty Boulevard was that the song um, talks about the poor and the rich in New York City. And Mm. um, it was uh, on Billboard Modern um, uh, Rock Tracks for, for weeks in 1989. That's right. And that there are a few live versions that appear on um, Perfect Night, Live in London, and Animal Serenade. So, um, and they also, and an also really interesting fact about Dirty Boulevard before we played is one of the four songs that he performed with David Bowie on the 50th birthday celebration in 1997. So, wow. um, that's also something really important. And um, also, he just said that uh, the song's based around three guitar chords. G D A D, repeating through the whole song. So, that's an wow. interesting fact. That's yeah, a very I know. I mean, I'm looking at the lyrics. You know, Pedro looks, mm-hmm. looks lives out of the Wilshire Hotel. He looks out a window without gla- without glass. Yeah, I'm looking at that without there glass. We go. The walls yeah, are the made walls of cardboard. Are made of cardboard. Yeah, feet. so it's what you're saying. It's that mm-hmm. whole the poor. You know, the whole thing. And, yeah. Um, I mean. I mean, there's. I think that was well, a I gotta read you, I gotta life, read you the so. first. I got to read you the first lines of "What's Good." Now that song was um, in a Wim Wender movie, you know, uh, uh-huh. from Magic and Lost. What's Good? That was in mm-hmm. a Wim Wender movie, uh, and the op- the opening paragraph. Listen to the lyrics. Life's like a mayonnaise soda, and life's like space without room, and life's like bacon and ice cream. That's what life's like without you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, he uh-huh. writes like... And you, and you can see why other musicians were so influenced by him and his lyric writing, because he was so... Um, you know, he wrote like a, almost like a poet of some sort, you know? And Joe's like that, really, in another way. You know? Yeah, but, you, know, you know, you and I talked about that. We talked about one of... Uh, it was when we had Willie Nile on recently. And yeah. Willie's yeah. lyrics to his songs, and I said, you know, Willie, you are a very deep person. Um, you know, besides just his lyrics, as he writes all his own music. He'd make right. a great poet as well. Right, you're right. Um, you know... So I think I think it's really I think it's important that we rec- recognize that about all the different artists and what goes into making a song is it could be a moment something that they're going through 
Um, right. It could be also something that they just, you know, came to their head. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, yeah. that's a lot of it, too, I think, um, with a lot of different songs and lyrics and stuff. So I want to say that um, a lot's happening in California with pop culture news and uh um, I want to thank you very much for being here today, and it was a, it was it was fun. It was really fun having everybody on, even though we had a little bit of a few snafus with the sound. <laughs> with the sound, right? But um, so, yeah. yeah, it sounded like Judith was blowing up uh, balloon animals. It was really fun. I, I tell you, there was something. I had static on there for a while. I don't know where I it was coming from. I had to mute her part of the show. Yeah, just because. Yeah, a little bit, but who cares about the technical part of it? We yeah, got right, through right. it. This is a great show. Um, it was a great show, and it was great. Yeah. There were great stories in all areas, and you know, I mean, and it's kind of like so much more uh, to know. Yeah, right. So That's what I was going to bring up. Uh, you know, something I was thinking the same thing as you were saying it. It's like there's a lot of Lou. I mean, we we brought out different parts of Lou, but there's other things to bring out in Lou. I mean, it's just another yeah, show. Yeah, like the packaging part and all the all the things. Yeah, that and they're all interesting. You can't that. sneak it. Right, right. And we right, should exactly. do a, we should have done a show just on packaging and and discuss that because that way. Well, I don't know. It's part it's part of it. Know. It's like I I I'll I'll tell you if if there is going to be something coming out with us and something yeah. there's going to be packaging in it. I mean, and so people realize yeah. that's part of the life and people want to know it. You know, these are the type nobody knows that. Nobody knows these stories. And I'll they say, don't wow, know how hard you know? it is. I know. It's not about that. It's the it. concepts and how the people think. And Lou is part of that too. You know, Lou is really part mm-hmm. of that. So it's kind of like he's integrated in it. You know, Absolutely. although Sylvie Sylvie right Sylvie was like the the creative lightning rod. He she would discuss things with him and then come back to us. So there there was this thing going on, but Lou was part of that too. So but but it's interesting. It's like everything's part of that. It's like you say. There's a lot of stuff to discuss. It's like yeah. when I put up the 45 book. There's got to be another one or something. You know, what I mean, it's like you can't just leave it by itself. There's got to be. You know what I mean? You gotta. It's it's it has a lot of story to it. So therefore, there are a lot boom. of different stories behind the album covers that you have in that. I mean, you know, well, I have people going through that book and saying, "Oh my God, I remember that one." You know, so I think yeah, that's the yeah. important part: the story behind it. You know, and you being the, story the behind creative it end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. But you know, it's like it's like there are a lot of other 45s that are out there that we would like to put in. We couldn't. That's the and mm-hmm. those are the ones that should be recognized too. So therefore, you go into another book. It's like it's like relative to the show that you t- that you mentioned, which is true. Is that we've s- told different parts of Lou, and there's other parts you want to address maybe later or something. Yeah. Know? No. Absolutely. And You're right I about think that. I think it's really important that we let everybody know that, um, you know, it's important that the packaging gets discussed. But the part that's really important that I want to make is if there's, you know, there's no packaging without the music. So <laughs> there right. you go. You well, know it's everything. I mean? Yeah, I know. I know there's different things. There's yeah. all different things, but it's all part of the picture. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think we, you know, you know, you got to bring, but you got to bring all things in. I think in, in a certain way, and people want to know about it. I really know that. And you, I, I get, so, I get too many folk, I, I get too many people that ask me about how yeah. what was the story behind the albums, you know, the creation of them. So you know, but 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 it's I all part. It's what you said. Book on that. I think you uh, should you know, do a book Holly, on, you know, on people different tell, albums. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. I, I bring up the truth. Well, you know, it's something I thought about. I, I was started to think about, but now we're getting involved with others. We're getting involved with uh, some stuff. So we'll see what happens. You know, it takes time. Awesome. But something. But you're right. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah, it's something to think about. You know. Yeah, well, thank you so much well, for being um, here today. And again, hey, lot, um, if you missed the beginning of the show, check it out. Um, it's on um, Red Velvet Media under the Indie Cafe. And uh, you have people still standing there waiting to say goodbye, I'm sure. So let Hey, you me... know what? I, they're outside. But I just want to say oh. one thing. It was yeah. so cool that Bill Bentley called in and Joseph called in because they the weren't sure time. they were going to be on. I think they yeah, planned they came... it secretly. Like right. I really do. <laughs> You, you're right. I think they were texting they each did. other and telling each other, one, two, three, go. I do. Well, you know what? It got to the point there was nobody talking about the album, and I think they felt bad about it. You know, so kind of like, you know what I mean? Here's their album on our show, and nobody's talking about it except for me, of course. But that doesn't mean it. But it's like you want to know the story behind their album. And so you, they had nobody on. So they said, okay, we'll both go on. You're right. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And that's great. I'm, I'm that was awesome. That I love it. I was so nice of them to call in. To yeah, everybody yeah. was great. It was great. It was absolutely fantastic. Well, we're going to end Holly. the show today with Dirty Boulevard by Lou Reed. Ah, yeah. And, um, and uh, thank you, Spencer. And um, I'll be thank back you, on Lou. Wednesday and next Friday with some pretty cool shows. Yeah. So make sure to tune in. And um, we'll be back with the Indie Cafe. And our next show is with, um, who is it with next month? Do you have that in front of you? Oh, yeah, let's see here. Oh, God, what's my schedule? It's our schedule. Which our schedule? Let's see here. Um, I know we got, got I think so it's much Richie stuff. Scarlet, isn't it? September is Richie Scarlet. Yeah, September okay. is Richie. But, but wait a minute. Hold, hold it just for a sec. I've got a, what I got here? I got... Well, J, well, Spencer's going through his little notes here. Oh, you know what? C.J. Ramon in July. C.J. Awesome. Ramon in July. August, okay. Jesse Malin. September, Richie Scarlett. October, Steve Conti again. November, Rob Russo from Live and Loud Radio. December, we're off. January, Peter Blakely, our friend from Morrison Hotel. Um, yeah. Jonathan Levine. Did you know he went uh, to school here? What? He went to school up here in Northern California. Wow, yeah, he cool. did. He and I talked about it. P- Peter's mm-hmm. great. I mean, he's got... And then, you know, Morrison's really... Well, they get the Nashville thing going on, too. You know. Well, show. you know, they're thinking about possibly opening up a Morrison somewhere up here in Northern California. So. Oh, that'd be cool. That would be cool. That'd wow. be really great, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have... James Maddock on somewhere, April or something, in March. I think, you know, we're going to yeah. have on March. I'm bringing Lee Stewart on, who had the movie Paradise Garden about Howard Finster, who's been out now in different mm-hmm. places. And um, she's also the founder of the um, Southeastern Film Festival, and we're putting that together. I'm putting that together with Judith and her. So that's going to be, that's a really great film festival. It's going to be down in the southern area. So we got in Atlanta now, and we're going to be planning in Nashville. And we're giving awards out for different categories, so that's going on. Um, it's be exciting stuff on our show. Yeah. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening again to a special edition of the Indie Cafe on the Red Velvet Media Network. And uh, I want to make sure everybody knows that if they did miss the beginning of the show, it will be on iTunes afterwards as a download on a podcast. 
And uh, again, I want to thank everyone for listening and uh, make sure everybody knows um, to have a really beautiful weekend and don't drink and drive. And with that, we're going to end with Dirty Boulevard. Have a great night, Spencer. You too, honey. I love you. out of the Wilshire Hotel. He looks out a window without glass. The walls are made of cardboard. Newspapers on his feet and his father beats him because he's too tired to beg. He's got nine brothers and sisters. They're brought up on their knees. It's hard to run when a coat hanger beats you on the thighs. Pedro dreams of being older and killing the old man. But that's a slim chance. He's going to the boulevard. On the dirty boulevard, he's going out to the dirty boulevard. He's going down to the dirty boulevard. This room costs $2,000 a month. You can believe it, man, it's true. Somewhere a landlord's laughing until he wets his pants. No one dreams of being a doctor or a lawyer or anything. They dream of dealing on the dirty boulevard. Give me your hunger, you're tired, you're poor, I'll piss on them. That's what the Statue of Bigotry says. Your poor huddled masses, let's club them to death. And get it over with and just dump them on the boulevard. Get them out. On the dirty boulevard. Going out. To the dirty boulevard. They're going down. On the dirty boulevard. Going out. Bright night, there's an opera at Lincoln Center. Movie stars arrive by limousine. The Cleve lights shoot up over the skyline of Manhattan, but the lights are out on the main streets. A small kid stands by the Lincoln Tunnel. He's selling plastic roses for a buck. The traffic's backed up to 39th Street. The TV whores are calling the cops out for a suck. And back to the wheelchair, Pedro sits there dreaming. He's found a book on magic in a garbage can. He looks at the pictures and stares up at the cracked ceiling. At the count of three, he says, I hope I can disappear. And fly, fly away from this dirty boulevard. I want to fly, yeah. From the dirty boulevard, I want to fly. From the dirty boulevard, I want to fly, 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 fly. From the dirty boulevard, I wanna fly away. I wanna fly, fly, fly away. I wanna fly, fly, fly away. Fly, 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 fly,